All right. Welcome back to HPP, the podcast that covers college basketball inside and out. I am Rich Harris, and thank you for joining us again. Uh, last week, the show featured an in-depth look at Michigan State Hoops with Chris Solari of the Detroit Free Press. If you missed that episode or any other HPP episode, you can get caught up at hoopsprospects.com. I am once again joined by the Bay Area Bomber, as he's known, uh, Drew Barton, Today, uh, he and I will be discussing the biggest news in college hoops, talking about the prospects whose draft stock is either rising or falling. We will also be joined by Toledo's star forward, J.T. Shoemate, one of the leading scorers in the country. Drew, how are you doing? Are you ready for Christmas? Absolutely, Rich. I'm ready for Christmas. I had a good weekend. I uh, went to the Dave Chappelle Chris Rock show. Uh, ah. I stayed with my parents last night. It was a birthday present. Wow. Uh, so that, that was that was a good time uh, seeing the two of them. Was it in a uh, small theater or a big place? They did that. They had that chase. So I mean, they sold out. Oh, okay. Uh, where the Warriors play? Warriors right, play. Right. So, right. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a good. It was a good time. So a good weekend, ready for Christmas. Were they uh, on to? Were they on together or? Yeah, they're like they're co-headlining. So it was three opening acts of like smaller comedians, right. and then it was like Chris Rock did like an hour long set, and then Chappelle did like an hour long set. Okay, cool. It was good. Yeah, it was but, good. It was but good but they didn't, they weren't on the stage at the same time. No, at the end, at the very end of the Chappelle set, they both came out for okay. like around, but it was, it was mostly just them doing their own things. Okay, very, very cool. Very, very cool. So, um, we have an announcement to make, unless you want to save it for next week, or do you want to announce it now? Yeah, I can, I can make a, I guess, an announcement really quick. Um, you know, for all of our faithful listeners who have been tolerating me for the last eight, nine months, whatever it's been, um, I just recently was offered and accepted a SID and operations role with a local Division II school uh, for basketball, which is where I want to be. Um, as everyone knows, I've been over at Stanford football, which has been an absolute blast of an experience. Um, but at the end of the day, um, there's a reason why I'm on the show. There's a reason why Rich and I love what we do. It's because it's about basketball. And so this was an opportunity to really get into college hoops, um, you know, get the experience of traveling with the team, helping organize, you know, all the teams, you know, day to day and bigger operations and, you know, still cover basketball as an SID. So um, it's a, it's an awesome, you know, Christmas present from a professional standpoint. Um, probably going to mean I'm going to be stepping away from the show to some degree, but we've got a great team. Of people behind us we'll figure it out um you know it's it's hard for me to get away from college hoops entirely so i'm not going completely anywhere folks uh, that's not the plan but uh you know absolutely excited to you know finally get this whole basketball career jump started and start making some money for it <laughs> well we're very happy and um and uh your obviously your salary is going to be greatly reduced now from from HBP, uh, but uh, I'm gonna have to get. I'm gonna have to sell the Bugatti. <laughs> uh, Mav, I expect if Mav's not back next week, he will be back after our Christmas break. Um, and of course, we still always have other people like Cam and Hugh are always waiting in the wings to once in a while come on the show. So. Yeah, we'll have we'll have plenty of people to talk about more college hoops. Speaking of which, let's dive into what's happened this past week. We'll start off with uh, Iowa's Chris Murray had a rough week. He was a non-factor 
versus Duke and now sidelined due to the injury. Now, they haven't been very forthcoming about the injury, but he's missed. Iowa had three big games this week, and he only played in the Duke game and then missed the uh, Wisconsin game and the game before that, which was against Iowa State. Uh, Iowa, by the way, uh, thumped Iowa State without him, um, which... Yeah, Iowa State is highly inconsistent on the offensive end. And the only way they succeed is by, you know, they, they're always going to play good defense, but it's if any one of those highly erratic players they have actually gets hot. Um, and they didn't. Um, and then uh, they actually went to overtime against Wisconsin yesterday, but yeah. but lost. So, a any thoughts on uh, Murray's injury or his performance uh, against Duke? Yeah, I mean, I think, Rich, we talked about this uh, maybe two weeks ago when we, we talked about Murray or Iowa. It was last time. week. It was actually oh, last, last week. week. And, yeah, we said, yeah, we talked about the Duke game. Yeah. My biggest concern was coming in that his resume is extremely erratic. I mean, if you want to talk about it, you know, he – had these monster games against, you know, these below average, average teams. I mean, before the Duke game, he had a 31.20 rebound, 61% from the field, double-double against Georgia Tech, who's not very good. Um, but then against TCU the week before, he had 11 points on 28% shooting. And then Clemson, who's who's decent, they're not great, but they're, they're, they're you know, competitive. Yeah, they're a solid team. He yeah. had 10 points on 23% shooting. Now they won. And, you know, I, I've always been a big proponent of this as people who've been listening, Rich, you know, I want to see your resume against the top tier opponents. Now, I want to see you have a 20 point double double against the, you know, weaker teams in the country that you play. I get it. You have to have those warm up games. You got to have a schedule. You got to win enough games to qualify for the tournament. But when TCU is probably your best game on your resume behind Duke and you played that poorly, then Clemson as well and you play that poorly, it raises eyebrows. And then you have the big test of Duke and you play 40 minutes and you score eight points. When in theory, against all those young bigs, I would expect the upperclassmen to have a, you know, put on a show and, and and kind of go be a force. You know, it's not so much that they lost, it's that they lost and he was a non-factor. Right. He could have not been out there and, it, and you wouldn't have really noticed, at least in terms of what his impact on the box score was. So very concerned from the standpoint of I'm I gotta see it against the good teams, and I'm just not. Yeah, yeah. Um he didn't get off a lot of shots. He had the third most shots of any Iowa player in that game. Uh, and he was three for nine, 0 for three from deep. Um, you know, he did have seven rebounds and three assists, which is good, but he did no steals, no blocks. Uh, I'm looking for turnovers here. Yeah, he had no turnovers in the Duke No game. turnovers. You know that. Good, he had no turnovers. Right. Um, but, you know, Duke put more their more athletic forwards on him. They didn't put one of their bigs on him. They put their more athletic forwards and even wing uh, Derek Whitehead on him. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Uh, you know, he's still a lot like his brother. You know, and and I think there's certainly a, a, a definitely a path for him to the NBA, and I still think he's going to be a first round pick. But uh, I will say he was on crutches yesterday. Yeah, I, I saw that. I, yeah. I was kind of surprised because it. I mean, they just haven't been open about it. I didn't think right. it was that bad, though. Lower had, body injury. <laughs> yeah, I just was kind of. I was a little bit surprised because I was like, oh wow, like it's it's bad enough where he's on crutches, but they're not going to tell us what it is. So right. Well, you know, I, I suppose 
you know, you'll know more about this as an SID, but, you know, based on HIPAA, technically, I suppose they shouldn't be saying anything about it. Yeah. Um, but I think if the player gives you permission, uh, I think you're allowed to speak on it as long as you have their permission. But yeah. I guess it gets legally, colleges are really funny about that. MBA, it must be written in their contracts or something. MBA, I, I believe it is. There has to be an injury report that has to go out. It's like the NFL. Like if a guy is listed right. out, you can't say someone's out, and then he shows up at the game and suits up. Right. Like it's right. process. Exactly. But the same rules don't apply. You can uh, maybe explain that to us once you get used to the ropes at, at, as it being Absolutely. an SID. So, um, so moving on, uh, Illinois had a uh, weird week. Uh, they went to the Garden and upset, you know, undefeated and uh, top or not top ranked, number two ranked team in the country, Texas. Yeah. And then they lost decisively to Penn State. Um, so, any any observations here? I'm gonna give. Illinois a pass on this one. I mean, it's definitely a bad look, but one thing I respect about them was they've played a very good schedule so far. They matched it against UCLA, Virginia, which was a relatively competitive game. They often then they just came off a back-to-back matchup uh on the second against Maryland, which they lost, and then they had that overtime win against Texas. So I'm gonna chalk this more up to maybe them just kind of coming off a back-to-back of having to play two ranked opponents. That overtime game against Texas probably took a lot out of them. Like, there's a good chance that that might be their most intense game in terms of just, like, length and competition. So I'm going to chalk this one up to just college basketball being college basketball, and anybody can beat anybody, and that's why we love it. Um, You know, I was definitely a little bit worried that they only got to 59 points and that they gave up 75 um and in no but it just seemed like entirely the team as a whole just didn't seem as engaged and again i just think when you play in maryland and i believe that was at maryland then you have this battle with texas this is the type of game that you probably kind of overlook and you're just like we just went all out left it all on the floor to beat the number two team in the country Mm -hmm. they just didn't have it so I'm, i'm gonna withhold judgment and while it's an ugly look I look at the rest of their resume before this loss, and they've only lost to Virginia, who we're finding out is a top five team in the country currently, and Maryland, who is surpassing expectations and is, deserves to be in the rank conversation. So I'll, I'll give them a pass. Uh, they've been really competitive, if not good all year, let down, but every team's going to have one this year. This is theirs. Yeah. yeah. And they'll probably have more, you know, I mean, yeah. big 10 is pretty much a battle every night. And, every night. and, and I think you're going to see Penn state, you know, do this to teams. You know, Penn State relies a lot on the three. They mm-hmm. were 12 of 24 in that game. Um, and, you know, so they were hitting their threes. Uh, and and uh, Jalen Pickett was going crazy, all, you know, doing doing his thing, which we'll talk about him in Stock Rising. Definitely. But, um, yeah, it was just – I think that's just, you know, life in the Big Ten and Penn State is just going to be one of those teams that's going to sneak up on you on occasion. And if their threes are falling, you know, they can be in a game with pretty much anybody. They're the type of team that you, you don't want to play after a tough matchup because you're going to have to exert all this energy, a la Texas, and then you're going to get stuck playing a team that just gets hot and you're going to not have it. So, yeah, I don't, again, I don't put a lot of stock in this loss as long as they show some form of rebound in their next couple of games. Right. I don't know if there's a ton to say here. 
uh, other than what I'm about to say is, you know, North, North Carolina, you know, got healthy this week for, versus Georgia Tech. Not only did they win decisively, but they got Armand, Armando Baycott was back uh, mm. from his shoulder injury. Jaylen, freshman Jalen Washington, the, one of the bigs that they were hoping they could, you know, play when when uh, Baycott or Pete Nance, you know, was in foul trouble or whatever. He made his debut. And R.J. Davis, who we talked about at length last week as being kind of the key player for them, snapped out of the slump. Now, I, um, I suppose the one thing, you know, we were concerned about was playmaking, especially from Davis. And again, you know, you didn't – Davis shot well, you know. Uh, eight of, he scored um, 22 points, 8 of 13 from the field, 5 of 6 uh, – excuse me, 5 of 6 from the line, 1 of 2 from 3. So he obviously was, uh, you know, driving the ball more than shooting. I didn't see that particular game. Also grabbed 10 boards. Wow. Yeah, he was he – was- they crushed uh, – I caught the second half. They abused Georgia Tech on – I think they – I think it was like 40-plus re- – they they out-rebounded them by like 22, I think, or 23-plus. Right. right. Baycott added 13 yeah. uh, boards. Uh, but the team's assist leader was Love, uh, who didn't shoot well, one of six from deep. So, yeah, they're still not totally clicking. Um, anything else to, to add about this game? This no, game, I, I, I mean, about their situation, I mean, they did snap their four-game losing streak, which is obviously a positive. Right. They did what they're supposed to do, plus, against a team that's not good. I watched a lot of Georgia Tech last year because I would watch a lot of Michael DeVoe and Jordan right. uh, Usher, um, who I thought were just kind of interesting players. They were. Um, so I'm familiar with the team. They were definitely, they weren't really good last year with those two, and now those guys are gone. They're definitely worse. So this outcome isn't surprising. They have the Citadel next, which are tomorrow, actually. They play tomorrow. Um, the Citadel again, not really a lot of stock. I'm going to be looking forward to the end of season or end of December because they go Ohio State and then Michigan in back to back games. There's a couple days apart, but like that's their next two after the Citadel. Those games will tell me a lot more if they can win both of those games convincingly, you know, like I have control, right. I'll be willing to buy more stock. But beating Georgia Tech and then beating the Citadel, which I'm pretty confident they'll do does not change the fact that you have looked really bad against every competent team they've played has beaten them. And I got to see you beat somebody before I put any stock in you. So Right. right. And, you know, I'm not overly encouraged by Davis. I mean, yes, he wasn't, he wasn't jacking up threes. That's good. Right. Uh, but he did have four turnovers. Obviously they got Baycott the ball inside because he yeah. led the team in shots and he made eight of 16 and scored 21. But still, you know, what I'd love to see from Davis, instead of 22 points and 10 rebounds, I'd love to see, you know, maybe 14 points and eight assists, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's this is what we've been talking about all year with this team. It, it's, I, I don't know. And then again, like, there's going to be people that are going to point to the fact that Love didn't play well. And they're like, well, one, there's going to be a game where him and RJ do their thing and Baycott's going to have a 15-point, 20-rebound double-double and Nance is going to... And that's fine, but you can't bank on that. I, I'd be willing to buy that if they were still winning. I'd be like, man, these guys are good now. Wait till both guards hit on that one given night. But it's like, okay, so, I mean, I'm not going to – I you clearly have not been able to do that. You've lost every game that you are that you needed to really win. I don't really think at this point I'm willing to, to wait on and hold on for the Caleb Love, R.J. Davis 
co-breakout game at this point. Right. Um, you know, I just yeah. I'm, I'm I still believe this team is tournament caliber, and I wouldn't want to play this team because the talent is elite. Of course, yeah. But man, especially now that you know, you know, Puff Johnson's got another year, you know, and yeah. Jalen Washington now might be able to contribute in the mix. Yeah. Uh Seth Tremble, though, uh Trimble um played 15 minutes, which was good to see because he's mm-hmm. barely been playing at times. Uh and he did have three assists. Uh, yeah. you know, and we can't expect a lot from Trimble offensively because that wasn't really his calling card when he was a high recruit. He yeah. was considered more of an athletic defensive guy. And so um hopefully his offense will come along. Uh, but he's really been dreadful there, but you know, I'm encouraged by the three assists. Um, I mean, maybe the answer is at some point you have to maybe you stagger an RJ and a love situation. I, I don't think that I, I I don't think Hubert Davis is going to give Trimble a lot of minutes unless he's forced to. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I just these might these might be the games where you maybe get a little bit crazy and experiment because your talent should be so overwhelming. I well, just, yeah, against the Citadel, sure. Yeah, yeah. and just, and just just to maybe see, like, may, can I have a situation where I have one of these guys operating as like a six man, but you know, I also understand in college you're better off usually putting your best five and just letting them play. Or you know, you could even play all three of them at once, once in a while, and and yeah. and, and sit Baycott or Nance or you know, or you know, because you I, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy about both of those bigs being on the floor at the same time. You know, I agree. I was gonna say now you can throw different looks. A Baycott, you can play a one in four out kind of system. Right. And a Nance, you could play a five out. To some degree, I'm not right, but Manic see, either, but. he he's he's not Brady Manic in the sense that he's never actually sat in the corner or sat at the three yeah. point line. He's always been more operating from the high post and kind of been like a a point center, you know, kind of like uh, yeah. I don't know, I can't like Krautwig was for Loyola Chicago yeah. or yeah. something like that. But yeah, all right, so. I'm not sure what New Mexico did this weekend. I know UNLV remained undefeated, but we lost four undefeated teams this weekend in Houston, Auburn, Maryland, and Missouri. So my question to you, Drew, is which of these teams is contenders and are there any pretenders? So Houston remains a contender. Uh, I'm not going to take a team that lost to another top 10 team for their first loss of the season. In a, in a competitive game, I mean, they didn't get blown yeah. out. Right. I'm not going to, you know, sit there and overreact. Houston is still very much so in the mix. This game does highlight the one problem, and this is a problem that a lot of the top defensive teams have. We talk about Iowa State, same kind of thing. Marcus Sasser was dreadful from the field. He was 2 for 11 from the field. When he's not able to go, you ask the question, where does the offense come from? Yep. The yep. answer is, I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. I know that um, Jamal Shedd scored 20. 19, I 19, 19. 19. But he was 8 for 20 from the field. He was horribly inefficient. Right. And so you just worry. If yeah, he, they, he's, they, he's not really a scorer. Exactly. And the the problem becomes if they do get into a shootout, if the defense kind of caves even just a little bit, can they keep up? And I've always said with a team like Houston, a team like Iowa State, it's always that race to 60. And Alabama got to 60 and then got over 60 and Houston <laughs> just couldn't keep up. Now, this is a game where I could see them playing again and Sasser just shoots 40% from the field and they win. Not even an exceptional game. 
but is it, it highlights the concern that they're going to have when they get in that tournament setting of like, can they put together a five, six game streak of scoring 70 ish, 65, 70 points while keeping the opposition as the opposition gets more competitive? Can they keep them at, you know, 50, 60? Um, so not really worried about Houston. Uh, Auburn, I'm going to go out here and say pretender. Um, I haven't watched Auburn really at all this year, um, but looking at their schedule, they haven't played anybody. None of their wins I look at impressed right. me. Yeah, they had a very weak schedule. Uh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't like Missouri's schedule, but we'll get to that. We'll get to them. We'll get to them in a second. Very weak schedule. They lost pretty convincingly. Like, I saw a good chunk of that Memphis game, uh, watching, like, going back and watching Memphis look to be the better team. And, and if you ask me, unlike what the announcers were saying, Memphis is not a tournament team. Uh, Memphis, yeah. mark this down. I'll buy anybody wants a beer if Memphis <laughs> makes the tournament. Nothing against Memphis. They're just not They're not close yeah. to being as talented as they have been over the last three or four years. And totally. and uh, and they. Have, I think they only made the tournament once over that stretch. When yeah. they had people like Wise, well, I know Wiseman only played three games. But when they had Duran and, and all those guys, I mean, be, even prior to Wiseman, or maybe it was Wiseman's class, they brought in a bunch of four and five star guys. Oh, yeah. Um, all of whom were have left the program or moved on to the pros or whatever. But um, yeah, this Memphis team is not that talented. Yeah, and I, and this is my first time seeing both teams, and I didn't even watch the full game. And they, I just watched. And I was like, oh, is Memphis better than Auburn? And they're not like you know. I, I'm gonna take your word for it, Rich. They're definitely not, and so they're definitely pretenders. They're look. They're gonna have a pretty tough stretch. They get Georgia State next, who I'm assuming that they'll beat. Um, but then they've got USC, who's not a complete pushover. There's talent on that team. Uh, Washington has looked good in stretches. They were pretty competitive with my uh, Gonzaga Bulldogs for about a half, and then the Zags pulled away. But they were at home. They get Florida. And then they get Arkansas. I mean, they're they're going to have some tough games coming up in the in the SEC. This is it's not yeah. going to be a cakewalk for them. So I, I think Auburn's a pretender. I, I I would say they're a pretender in the sense of being a top tier team. I sure. I don't, I don't sure. think they're a bad team, and yeah. I think they'll be competitive in the ace in the SEC. And I believe maybe they'll even finish in the top four. Maybe. Um, yeah. But, yeah, but in terms of being, like, a Final Four team or, you know, even a lead eight, and uh, maybe Sweet 16, maybe, you know. Yeah. Uh, but they will be in the field. Let's put it that way. If the ball yeah. bounces their way, I could see them making a run. But from what I saw, that's a team that their, their floor is they can get bounced in the first round. Right. That's yes. their floor. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. And we'll talk about that more later when we yes. talk about stock falling and why Auburn has some trouble. Um, so next is a team that was somewhat tested and uh, ha already has some good wins, but that's Maryland, and they lost the ugliest game. Oh, by the way, it's not Tennessee's home court because they played that game in Brooklyn, right. and Tennessee still couldn't shoot straight. I couldn't believe how many bunnies both teams, especially Tennessee. Tennessee missed bunny after bunny the first yeah, I didn't watch this one. Was it? Oh that my bad? God. You you you're thankful. Oh, <laughs> I mean, layups, runners, you know, uh you know, 10-foot jumpers, uh Vescovi again, uh, you know, two of eleven, uh, or Vescovi, excuse me, two of eleven from the field Jesus. again. Um, and they won. They won because Maryland. 
really couldn't get anything going inside because yeah. Tennessee Tennessee does play great defense. Yep. And um and Maryland just doesn't have as many talented pieces. But I still think again, good team. Oh, I, yeah. I think they have the potential to finish in the top four in the Big Ten, but I don't think they're going to win the Big Ten. I think the Maryland, I think their ceiling is going to be in this 25 to 20 range when we're talking AP polls throughout the season. And again, this is a team that could totally win a game or two in the tournament. And like, I, I look at like Wisconsin and, you know, people are going to look at the Tennessee game, like Wisconsin's got a good resume too. So they yeah, Wisconsin keeps now. winning. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you look, they beat Dayton back when, I mean, myself included thought Dayton had some sleeper potential. That pick right. is way out the window. Uh, they took Kansas to overtime and lost by one. Um, they handily beat USC. They beat Marquette, who had crushed Baylor. And then they, and, and so, I mean, and then they obviously beat Maryland. And they Marquette just, just handled Notre Dame too, by the way. Yeah. And so I, I think I'm going to I'm gonna give Maryland credit. I, I think that, you know, they've played a tough schedule. They've surpassed expectations. This is another team in that Auburn situation where, like, I don't think that their ceiling is super high. But I, this is a tournament team. I think 25 to 20 is their range. They do have some good wins on that resume. They beat Illinois. They beat Miami, who I, I think is a, a team that is still trying to figure it out but is loaded with talent. I think Miami has the potential to be really good again this year. Um, I'm not out of stock. You played a good Wisconsin team and you played Tennessee. You know, it, it sucks that you lose two in a row. And I know they have UCLA next. I know that's their next game. So they're playing a tough schedule. And uh, I, I think they'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. All right. How about Missouri, who just really played no one and got got their – Got their head handed to them oh, by yeah. Kansas. I mean, yeah, I this is out of all the teams we looked at, by far the the fakest pretender, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. By far, I'm very low on Kansas. Just overall, good team, sure, but like, I mean, Rich, we've talked about it. They're still hanging on to a top ten seating. I just don't see it. Uh, that team is Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick or Bust, week in and week out, game in and game out, and the fact that they dropped Missouri by thirty. And then I'm looking at, at home, at home, at home, a packed, a packed arena. Yeah. They get UCF, who I'm not familiar with. So I'll take Missouri, I guess. UCF is okay, but they're not tournament team. Yeah. And then they, after UCF, they have a three game stretch in the span of 10 days where they go Illinois, Kentucky, and then at Arkansas. And they after those lose three games, all three of those games and probably badly. Yeah. I go, and after those three, Nobody's gonna be talking about Missouri anymore because there's a legitimate chance that they lose. Oh, I think you, I think US UCF could beat them. Yeah. So let's even if let's say that they could very realistically lose five in a row, and three of those next four or three of those five all be by twenty plus. Yeah. And I wouldn't be shocked. I, I, you know what I was shocked by is how bad they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a team that can't shoot straight. I mean, we're talking air balls. Yeah. Um, it was a team that couldn't defend. Um, just total defensive lapses all over the place. This is a team that's supposed to be a run and gun team. And, you know, they they couldn't, you know, punch their way out of a paper bag on offense. Um, and then you have to me. Their best player, arguably their best player, Isaiah Mosley, sat on the bench the entire game. And in fact, 
the announcer said, now I, I don't know why or how this could be, but the announcer said he didn't even practice the day before, even though he's healthy. They yeah. held him out. Why do you hold a guy out of practice? I never I get, heard I yeah. never heard of such a thing. I get a game if there's some sort of disciplinary thing, but a practice, that I don't know. That seems a little well off. see Dennis Gates, you know, you know, he comes from uh Cleveland State and he brought a lot of his boys with him. And yeah. I think Isaiah I don't know the timeline, but I'm pretty sure Isaiah Mosley committed before Gates was picked uh, as a coach. That'll do so it. So he thought he was coming to a different program. And then you have the coach who brings all his boys from Cleveland State. And by the way, Missouri did look like Cleveland State playing Kansas on Saturday. <laughs> um, and so now keep in mind, I mentioned this before on a previous show. I know Isaiah Mosley had some trouble with his coach at Missouri State. Now, Isaiah is a gunner. He's a shooter. He's a chucker. And so he's the type of guy that you have to rein in once in a while and say, whoa, 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 you have four other teammates, okay? But he's ultra-talented. And I'm telling you, he's more talented than anybody on that roster. Um, So, and, you know, even in prior games, this was he played played only like six minutes the game prior. Uh, And so, and this is when they're playing nobody. Um, But, yeah. Uh, this team, you know, Kobe Brown is not bad on Missouri, you know, one of their big men. Um, and maybe they'll win some games if they get Mosley going, you know, and we give them a legitimate score. But otherwise, uh, you know, this team's headed to the bottom of the SEC. Not not the very bottom, because there might be like South Carolina might beat them there. But, you know, um, yeah, they're bad. Yeah. All right, uh, so staying with the SEC, we're going to talk about uh, the Razorbacks, and uh, they won two games this week. One was a close call against North Carolina Wilmington, yep. and in that game, uh, Tre- Trevin Brazil um, suffered a non-contact ACL oh, injury. His, yeah, knee did, his knee just collapsed. It was so sad to see because, you know, we've talked about this before. Arkansas... Uh, with him had to be probably the most athletic and exciting team in the country. Now they still might carry that moniker uh, and they still might, you know, still have tons of athleticism, but Brazil just added to it. And he was one of the few, you know, bigs on that team. He gave them the capability of playing small ball with him, like at the center uh, and, and their other bigs uh, are aren't aren't close to his athleticism, so I feel bad, of course, for the young man. Uh, I feel bad for Arkansas. Question is, you know, they they beat Oklahoma pretty convincingly without him. Is this team still a top ten team? I I think this team definitely deserves to still be considered a top ten team until further notice. I think even talent-wise, without him, you could still make the argument there's a top 10 talent with those those three freshmen. You still have Council, who's been playing well. I mean, he just had 26 against Oklahoma. Um, so I'm not out on this team at all in the standpoint of the talent. Where I'm, where I'm concerned is come the tournament. Because, again, we see it time and time again, those super freshman teams where the freshmen have to carry the load. At some point, they run into the veteran-laden squad. The, the moment gets too big. 
and and that's where the problems happen. I think over the course of you know another what they played, I think ten games. So they'll probably play yeah. another twenty, yeah. probably yeah. another eighteen twenty games left. Over the course, the talent's gonna you know be able to over that long of a period of time, the talent will win out. So that's where my concern is because what I love about Arkansas. And I know we're talking potentially updated Final Four picks. I was going to probably have Arkansas there because they had the three freshmen, but you had a sophomore in Brazil. You had a is counsel a junior or senior? I think he's a senior. Senior. So you had an upperclassman. You had a sophomore who was, who's been there, done that, knocked off the Zags. Like, you, you had that a nice little balance of, like, three freshmen who all you really need is one or two to really – and you also, have, by, by the way, Deontay Davis has returned to the team, so he's back. Uh, the Mitchell, the Mitchell twins have experience, so there's there's plenty of experience on the team yeah. too. And and that's why I was like, I really like this team because you have two kind of like top tier players that are a little bit more veteran proven, and then you have three freshmen that can come in and be dynamic, and then you surround them with good pieces. So I still think this team's a top ten team. I'm not even going to say they don't have Final Four potential because of an Anthony Black or Nick Smith gets hot and really steps into a big role, a core of, excuse me, Council and, you know, Anthony Black, and, and they, that's still dangerous. But it's just going to be hard for me to pick them to go make a super deep run in my bracket just because I'm worried that, A, now any other injury is now really problematic, and, B, I always have a hard time trusting teams that lean heavily on freshmen. But absolutely a top-10 team. The talent is there. Yeah, I mean Nick Smith has already kind of taken over this team to some yeah. degree, and but no, I don't think there's any other team in the country that can throw out two scores like Ricky Council and Nick Smith. No, and then have a guy like Anthony Black who had 26 right. against Creighton, right? Like as your third guy, like he could be your third guy, and he had 26 right. and six against Creighton. Now I know Jordan Walsh is not nearly; he hasn't been playing as well as the others. Yeah, uh, he's not playing poorly, but he's not playing great. So, for example, in the north, in the uh, game where they were um, struggling to beat Wilmington, Wilmington had the lead in that game for probably yeah. thirty to thirty-five minutes. Yeah. Um, how it, Jordan Walsh didn't play hardly at all in that game, uh, and Brazil got hurt in that game. So, you know, he but I saw him back in the rotation against Oklahoma. Um, he needs to step up. He's not as yeah. big as Brazil, but he still got the he's more he's bigger than most of the guys on the team. And yeah. so he could step in, I think, and be that uh forward. You know, he's not gonna give you probably the, the same shot blocking and rebounding that Brazil would, but I still think you know, if he steps up, that could offset the loss. And of course, you know, they just got Nick Smith back. So as they get Nick Smith back, they lose Brazil. So I think you're right. You know, the team still should function at a high level, but it's, you know, do they have enough bigs? And you're you're going to see this over and over again. You know, you, teams that just don't have uh, a shot blocker uh, and a big-time rebounder, teams like Villanova, Notre Dame, you know, they're they're getting picked off right and left, you know, because there's, there's so many – right, there's so many teams out there that do have good bigs, Yeah, you know. Um, they have guys like Dickinson and Edie, and you're going to run into them in the tournament. And, yeah. and your only defense against that is to hope you get it hot as hell from three-point left. Yep. There's no um, one on that team that can guard Drew Timmy. For example, now, right. I know I know that's me with my bias, but like all joking aside, last year they were able to beat the Zags because they had Jalen. Well, they had athletes, they had bodies to throw. There's no one on that team that could guard an Edie, a Timmy, 
and and that's well, the Mitchell twins are big. You know, they do have size, but they, yeah, they they haven't proven that they can play at that type. I'm, of yeah, I'm worried about the athlete, like the combination of the athleticism, the size, and the, the skill to go back at him. Like right. you can't just throw bodies at the elite big. Like Dickinson, you can't just say, "Oh, here's a big body," because Dickinson's too good. You got to have kind of like the combination of athleticism and skill, and then obviously some size. But they'll be fine. I, I'm not. I'm not overly concerned about Arkansas. It sucks. Um, I, I just hate it, especially with college guys, because you know that clock is there's a clock. Like if he comes back now, you know there's one less year. There's always like that kind of clock in the NBA. You can get hurt and you can still have another eight nine years. Uh, I just hate to see college guys go down because you know there's only so many opportunities for them to put on a college jersey. Right, right, and I I think he'll be back next yeah, year for definitely. Arkansas um, because he's not really going to have the 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 time to show out for. Uh, NBA teams and right now, you know, I, I think he was a borderline second round pick, but you know, if he comes back strong next year, maybe he could be a first round pick. You know, if he added more, more to his offensive repertoire, um, yeah, if he could become like a John Collins esque player forward who can shoot the three a little bit, yeah, yeah. 10 rebounds a game. He certainly has Collins athleticism. That's what I'm saying. With that athleticism, if he can get a three ball that's you know reliable, you know, 35 plus percent, so it's yeah. a threat. There's no reason why he can't average if he comes back in college, you know, 15 and 10, shoot 36, 37% from three. Oh, yeah, definitely. And so, it'll probably be better for him because he'll be more yeah. featured next year unless they bring in another crazy class like they had this yeah, year. Yeah, exactly. Right. So next is one of our favorite teams. Uh, of course, our good friend Baylor Shireman, uh, his team is struggling. And now Creighton uh, lost has now lost four straight. With their latest loss coming uh, 83 to 80 at BYU. Are we concerned here? Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of have to be. I think when you lose four in a row, like I was one of the people who, after the Arizona and Texas losses, was not really, you know, ringing any sirens because they lost by one possession to Arizona, could have easily won that game. And two possessions to Texas could have won that game. And Texas is brutal to play at. Um, but like Nebraska, I was like, okay, that's a bit of a letdown, like 53 points right. for a team that should be offensively. That's your calling card. You got weapons everywhere. I was worried. And then BYU is not very good. You know, they're in my alma right. mater conference. So it is tough to play up there in the mountains. Oh, it's horrible. I, you, Utah, I could do without as a whole, as a whole, um, you know, so I understand, but like now I'm a little bit concerned, you know, they, they do have a, a stretch where they get Arizona State, so I take them in that game. They've got Marquette. I take them in that game. But, you know, once they get into conference play, which is right around the corner, UConn's prowling and is prowling very large as probably the best team in the country, in my opinion. Um, and then Xavier, who's also played really well. St. John's has been competitive. Like, you know, you never you never want to count out a Villanova team, especially if you have to go there and play. Xavier, Xavier continues to play well. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I, if they can't get on a nice little three game, four game win streak going into conference play, um, they could be in trouble. Right. So in that BYU loss, a um, couple things stand out is first of all, uh, uh, Francisco uh, Frabello was the only player that played over uh, played over nine minutes coming off the bench. Yeah. Um, Baylor. Went three of eleven from the field, and Trey Alexander went three of twelve. Yep. Um. So there you go. Um, Kaluma, by the way, had his 
best game, probably statistic at least, statistically, you know, scoring wise, eight of 14, four of seven from three, seven of 11 from the line for a total of 27 points, but he fouled out. <laughs> I, I just never, I, I see it with Kaluma. I understand like why there would be talk of him going on. I just, there's just kind of something missing for me. And I think it's, I like, I watched him play and I was like, yeah, he had a good scoring game, but not really a factor on the glass. I mean, he had two assists, but he had three turnovers. Yeah, well, somehow Baylor Shireman is always around the ball when it comes yeah. to hitting rebounds. Right. It's like he had 11 like, boards in that game. He's like Magneto. You know, yeah. the ball just ends up a bit, you know, when they're coming off the glass, it just goes to him. You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm glad Kuhlman had a big game. And again, this team, I think, in the grand scheme will be fine. Um, but I just, I just kind of worried. Like, I, I'm definitely a little bit worried. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm mainly worried about the depth. I mean, yeah. Uh, Trey Alexander, 35 minutes. Nebhardt, 37. Coloma, who fouled out, only 26. Baylor, 33 minutes. So, yeah, I mean, they're all playing over 30. That's not ideal. You really would like to see Nebhardt is probably always going to lead the team in minutes, and you probably don't want to see him playing any more than maybe 32 a game. Yeah. You know, So they're all pl probably playing about five more minutes per game than you'd like them to see to play. And that's right. going to that's gonna add up. I'm just noticing as I'm looking at the box score, this game wasn't played at BYU. It was played in Vegas. Uh, at the same time, though, we, we didn't talk about this, but uh, Ryan Kalkbrenner, their big center, big shot blocker, um, their inside presence didn't play in this game because of the flu. And uh, I would assume he's going to be okay soon. He was actually looking a little peaked at the end of Maui. And um, and he's been playing, but I wonder if it caught up to him. I know a lot of people are getting this flu, and it lasts a while. So I don't know if he'll be ready for tonight's game against Arizona State or not, but uh, he didn't play in this game. So that's certainly a big factor, again, for a Creighton team that, that lacks depth. All right, so we're going to end our college notebook with a team you mentioned just a, a, a moment ago, and that's UConn. And my question to you is, is UConn the top team in the country, and would you like to update your final four picks, or would you like to up? I mean, you, we're not going to hold you to them. We're going to hold you to the ones that you made before the season, just like me, which are not looking good. So would you like to uh, – you can update them if you want. Um but uh, is but the leading question is is UConn the top team in the country? So I will update them now that we're basically officially like a third way through. But I, I'm going to give UConn the nod. I know they're three in the AP polls, but I'm going to give them the nod of best team in the country. I've seen them play twice now. I watched them play against Oregon and I watched them play against Florida um, just this past couple of days ago. And I understand the argument some may have where their resume outside of the Alabama and Iowa State win is, is a little bit light. Like, I think it's well, Florida, fine. Florida's know. not chump change, but, yeah, they made exactly. Florida, but they made Florida look like chump yeah, change. That, that's the thing. I've had conversations with some, some friends who've been like, ah, they haven't really played anyone outside of Alabama and Iowa State. But I'm like, you know what? They have, they have played Oregon. They have played Alabama. They have played Iowa. They played Florida. Like, Compared to some of the other teams, and they handled Alabama, who who has already knocked off two number one teams this year, and that and that was where I was. I go, but what they're doing is something that, as a Zags fan, is an argument I always have to put out there. 
I understand that you want in a perfect world you'd watch the number one team in the country would play only the top ten teams all year long and it'll just be AP twenty five teams beating each other up for the whole season into the tournament. It's not the way it works. Like you got to play whoever's on your schedule. You play and they are destroying people. I mean, they are a buzzsaw. They beat Alabama by that could have been a twenty point win. They beat Iowa State by twenty points. They beat Florida by 20 points. I mean, Long Island University, whatever, I caught a little bit of that game. And they beat them by, like, 50 points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you you have to, at some point, give credit and go, maybe they're dominating teams because they're that good. So I'm going to give them the nod because I have watched them basically anybody that has come to step on the court. And they played a lot of neutral site games as well. So it's not like they've just been, you know, hanging out at home. Like, Texas has kind of been just sheltered at home a lot. They've only played one kind of away game. Um, or two, I guess now, and and they've they've do- dominated everybody. So absolutely, UConn I think should be number one. I understand why. I think it's Purdue, and I think Virginia's two. Um, I get why as well. But yeah, who's, UConn, who's number one? I think Purdue's number one still. Okay, okay. I think it's Purdue, Virginia, and and then UConn. I believe. I know Virginia's two, but I think I think Purdue's number one. Okay. So how about your updated Final Four? So updated Final Four as it stands, I would go UConn's going to be in there because I did just call them the best team in the country. Uh, I am going to still stick with my Houston pick. I know they dropped like four spots after their loss, but there's something about March and Kelvin Sampson that just gets me hyped up. And I think that that team, as long as they stay healthy, is going to they're going to be fine. Um, I really like what I've seen from Virginia. So I'm. I'm going to throw Virginia in there. And, man, my heart says put the Zags in there, but I can't with a good con- <laughs> I can't with a good conscience. I, I, there's, like, that That spot's open. Like, I've liked yeah, what I've seen. Yeah, from I, I agree. My fourth slot is open, too. It's Yeah, like, I, I like what I've seen from Alabama. Um, you know, I think Tennessee is the type of team that, could very easily be the best team in the country if they could just figure a few things out. They're like, yeah, like how, big how problem. the ball goes in a hole. Yeah, exactly. It's like <laughs> it's a big problem, but I, I I keep just like they they have to figure it out. They're too good to not figure right. out yeah. the offense. So like I, I don't want I don't hate my Tennessee pick and Arkansas is like a sleeping team for me. Like, I still think Arkansas can make a run. Right. I, I believe in the talent. I'm just worried about the experience of said talent. So I guess. Uh, because I don't really have a fourth team with conviction, I'll put my Zags in there because I've got to be loyal. <laughs> so I'll go Virginia, UConn, Houston, and the Zags. Don't hold me to this one. This is more just for no, the right, right. We're just we're just kind of seeing where I thought is. I'm going to answer it in a little different way, and I'm going to say the best teams that I've seen this year. It, it, sure. It's a different way of looking at it. Sure. And I'm going to list them in order how I think they stack up. You know. In, t- in terms of overall talent, who's the best? Yeah. So the best teams I've seen so far, number one is UConn. Number yeah. two is Arizona. Number okay. three is Purdue. And number four is Tough. I could say Virginia. I could say I could say Alabama. I could I, say I Texas. Texas, Texas. And um, that's tough. I'm going to say Alabama right now, based on my criteria, who are the best teams I've seen. And I have seen all those others. But, you know, it's kind of comes to me, and I could say any of those three, but I'm going to go with Alabama just because I think they have the most potential to get better than they are already. That's actually a very good point. That's a good point. My Virginia pick is more 
based on just kind of believing in the system. And I like they they've 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 won the games. They battle. They're they're a little bit more veteran heavy. But I do like that point. I think Virginia. We kind of know what they are, and if they play to, if they can play to their potential for six games, they can beat anybody. But Alabama is a wild card, and in the Final Four, you always have to have the one team that could could be the best team in the country on one night, and then could look like a JC team on one night. Right, right. Um, and Alabama is not that bad, but like they are the ones that fit that spectrum of kind of I think chameleon. Uh, that's that's actually not a bad way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we're going to wrap up our college notebook, and now we're going to bring on our guest, J.T. Shoemate, who plays for arguably the best team in the Mid-American Conference, or the MAC, as it's known, and he plays for Toledo. Uh, he's a super senior, uh, and uh, Toledo's off to a good start. Um, and, yeah, let's talk to J.T. about what's going on with him. Today's guest is Toledo senior forward J.T. Shumay, a 2022 All-Max selection. J.T. has scored at least 20 points in seven of the Rockets' 10 games this season and is averaging 19.5 points per game, which is the best in the conference. Uh, he also tops the MAC in effective field goal percentage, blocks per game, player efficiency rating, win shares, uh, and he ranks at the 97th percentile in the nation for points per position. Welcome, JT. How you doing? Good. How are you? I am good. Uh, I When I was uh, doing research into you, I saw that you played at Newark High School, and I was so excited. And then I realized that there's a Newark in Ohio. Do you, By the way, do you guys pronounce it Newark? Or New Ark, because if you're in Delaware, they call it New Ark. If you're in New Jersey, they call it Newark. Yeah. I mean, in some cases in Ohio, it's Nurk. Nurk. <laughs> right. Okay. That's a little, that's, uh, that's okay. That's, that's a different version. All right. So, um, <laughs> All right, so uh, for listeners who don't know, uh, Toledo has made the NIT for the past two seasons, and this preseason, you guys actually uh, received some recognition in the national polls. You got votes for the top 25. Uh, however, in the MAC preseason poll, I was actually surprised to see that Kent State got the nod by the coaches. I believe that's just coaches, not media. Both teams are off to seven and three starts. Are are you pleased with you where you're at right now? Yeah, I mean, I don't really listen or um, ever look into stuff like that. I don't feel like, but um, I think that we're definitely making progress as a team as the year goes on. And um, if we keep taking steps in the right direction, like last game was just like we had an ugly game last game. But I think that, you know, coming out and cleaning things up this week will be a lot better. Right, right. And uh, would you say your best win this season was uh, Richmond? I mean, you beat those guys pretty good. They were the NCAAs last year. I don't know. Okay. Um, we had Tyler Burton, by the way, uh, on the show, uh, I guess, over the summer. Um, but anyway, um, so the big missing piece from the last two seasons has been is guard Ryan Rollins, who's now moved on to the NBA. But Ray Dennis has stepped up in a big way while you – and Seth Milner and Raheem Moss have all continued to produce at a high level. Um, you know, last year you led the team with a 17-3 record. Um, what encourages you that you guys can have the same type of success without Ryan? Um, I mean, everything about our team this year suggests that. Okay. I mean, 
in, in my eyes. Okay. What in particular have you been especially encouraged? I mean, obviously Ray's Ray's level of play is just, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's right up there with you in uh, leading the conference, averaging over 19 points per game and all his other numbers have really gone up. But other than that, have you seen another other, uh, you think the other players have also, or the new additions, is there anybody who's been a, a pleasant surprise or, or you at least going to be able to fill that gap that, that's left by Ryan's absence? I mean, that's the thing about our team. We'll see who steps up the next game. Like, it could be anybody on any given night. Right, right, right. Um, so would you – your offense, to me, it seems, you know, um, you don't – you're not post-oriented. I mean, obviously, you score in the post and you're very good at it. But um, – it seems to be more of a motion-oriented offense where anybody at any given time could be in the paint, and sometimes you guys go five out. Is that a good way to describe your offense? How would you describe it? Um, I would describe it as flow. Right, right. A lot of cutting, a lot of motion. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So last year you were one of the top shooters in the country, ranked at the 99th percentile for points per position as a jump shooter. Uh, you also excelled in in the pick and roll. Um, would you say shooting is your biggest strength? And how did you develop such a nice touch? Um, I mean, I think just shooting um, so many times, like you get to a point where you're really good at it. So if you just keep getting a lot of reps up, but um, other than that, there's really no way to become a great shooter. Right, right. Um, was it? Were you always one of the taller kids when you were growing up, or? Um, not really. I I leveled out kind of in middle school, and then ended up growing a lot, like before my junior year of high school. I went from like six two to six six in the summer. Ah. And it was, things got a lot better after that. Right. Right, of course, of course. Um, so would you say shooting is the strongest part of your game, at least now? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, this year you've also been elite in the post, uh, and I'm just looking at Synergy's numbers. Uh, you know, you're 90 plus 90 percentile in the post as a cutter. Uh, your three-point percentage and your rebounding numbers have dipped. Is there any spe- specific reason for that? And Are you concerned? Um, I mean, threes are going to fall in. That's what's going to happen. Right. Like, I mean, I just play the law of large numbers with, like, the probability is I'm probably going to shoot 40% from three because that's just what I usually do. For your so career, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's just something that you know you're going to do. Um, yeah, I think, I think for your and career. And the, the other thing was rebounds, and that's just going and grabbing them. Like, it's nothing else than putting it in your mind, I'm going to go get a rebound. Right, but I meant, is there, is there any way you guys have changed your style or your role that you feel like, you know, that you haven't been, you know, in position to get the boards this year? Or is it just just a small sample and you figure that it will even out too? I mean, and sometimes when I'm boxing out dudes who are like seven foot or something, I start to think like, yeah, maybe I have the harder assignment when it comes to like trying to box them out. But other than that, there's really nothing that contributes to rebounding besides, I mean, just going for them. We have a lot of guys who go for them. Right, right. Um, off the perimeter. So, 
Yeah, I noticed. I noticed. Uh, I was looking through like the top rebounders in each game, and it seems to be a different guy each game, um, which is good. I mean, your guards are contributing. Everybody's contributing. Um, so, obviously, you're one of the bigger players on the team. Uh, and it's probably safe to say that you're, whether you like it or not, you're forced to take on that big man role. Um, but ideally, ideally. What do you think your position would be? Uh, three, four. Yeah, right. That's what I was thinking. Um, so what aspects do your game, uh, you know, I've seen you do a lot of things and see a lot of versatility there. What what aspects of your game do you think we don't get to see regularly because of your current role being kind of the cast into the big man um, that we don't see that you think that you could – that that maybe the people underestimate about your game. I mean, right now it's just, I feel like I can get mismatches when I need them or, you know, we have a lot of people that can do the same thing. So it's kind of hard to guard us. Right. Right. Um, you know, what I'm impressed with, and I, I wondered how much you played guard in the past, is uh, you have pretty good, you have a good handle. I mean, you go between the legs, you know, do spin moves, uh, uh, go right, left, uh, pretty quick first step. Um, I, I'm really impressed with your ball handling, and that's something I thought that maybe in a, on, in a different situation, you, that's something that you could probably do more of. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah, I probably could. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Did you ever play guard? Yeah. Okay. What areas would you, you know, from now to the end of the season, uh, are there any particular things where you say, "Man, I got, I got to get better at this"? Mm. I mean, as the season goes on, I got to have more closure with foul calls. I got to. Um, work on my ball handling and keep working on my shooting also. So I don't know. Right. Right. Um, so other than school, uh, moving off of basketball, other than school, what do you do for fun? Mm, I was just about to start playing some Madden. Okay. Uh, who's your favorite football team? Um, I mean, unfortunately the Browns, but that's just a, a family thing. Right, you're uh, Ohio through and through. Um, our last uh, our last interview was with uh, Dane Goodwin. You you and Dane crossed paths because he's an Ohio native. Yeah, I've seen him play a couple of times. We didn't never play against each other or um, with each other, but okay. I just know of him. Right, right. His <laughs> uh, your father's a basketball coach, right? Yeah. Yeah, his dad is well in Ohio. What are you? What are your expectations for yourself for the season? What are your goals for the team? Um, ultimately, what would you like to achieve? I want to go to the Elite Eight. Ah, there you go. All right, that'd be that'd be really nice. Yes, yes, very nice, very nice. All right, JT, uh, wish you the best of luck. Uh, always, always enjoy watching you guys play. Um, got a you know wide open style and um, fun to watch you guys play. Um, so wish you the best of luck and uh, maybe you'll come back and talk to us uh, when the season's over and let us know what's next for you. Okay. Sounds good.
All right. And tell Ray, uh, keep up, keep it up. Uh, he's doing great. I'll as, tell him. As, as you are. <laughs> <laughs> I'll All tell right. him. All right, JT. Take care and uh, enjoy the rest of the season, buddy. Yeah. Thank you. All right, Appreciate bye. it. Thank you. So it was great to have JT on the show, and uh, we'll definitely be watching uh, him as the season goes on, and hopefully he'll come back and join us. Um, so now let's move on to our draft stock report, and uh, we're going to start off, pick up kind of where Drew and I left off talking about Connecticut, and we're going to talk about two of their guys. And two of their guys, I think, you know, have been the reason. I think there are certain players, well, you know what? I don't even know if I can say what I was about to say. I was going to say there's certain players we knew we were going to get from, but even Sonogo is playing better than he did last year. Uh, yeah, I didn't see this from Sonogo. Sonogo was really on my radar. Now, was like a no-name, you know, recruit. Yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off on Sonogo, by the way. Um, oh, no, you're good. I just – Sonogo wasn't on my radar, and now he's like a player of the year candidate, like, a, like right. you know, in that discussion. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and even Alex Caravan, you know, he was like a top 100 recruit, but, you know, uh, nobody was really talking about him. But the two guys that have really stood out to me uh, that are making, pushing this team to an elite level is Jordan, sophomore Jordan Hawkins and freshman Donovan Klingon. Um, and they are just, you know, uh, you know, clinging seven foot two, hit you know, hit shooting better than seventy five percent from the field. He's only playing fifteen minutes a game, and he's blocking two point two, two point one. Excuse me, two point one blocks per game and seven rebounds per game in fifteen minutes. Yeah, they they these two, and we'll just we'll group them together. And if I might, I'll just throw out a couple of statistics about Hawkins, who started off slow and yeah. he was injured too, but uh, he is now he's he, I. I I'm going to keep on saying it. I think he has the prettiest shot in college basketball. And he's shooting 43% from deep on 7.6 threes per game. So that's yeah. all I would add. No, and that's what these two give you. I mean, with Donovan and Sonogo, you have legitimate size that can punish you inside as high-efficient, solid rebounding rim protection. And in college basketball, those are must-haves. We talked about teams that don't have bigs. Well, this team has two of them. And this is a freshman who's 7-2 is playing 15 minutes a game. So not only does it give you that that safety blanket of like, if, you know, God forbid something were to happen, we have a reliable, you know, backup. And when he does play, he's out there punishing teams. And then I think with Hawkins, you know, you look at his stats and his, his shooting percentage has actually the last couple of games been been pretty sharp, but he started off slow. But his three-point shooting combined with Calcaterra uh, is like elite. I mean, you have one guy shooting 43. If I told you there's a guy shooting 43% from three on, what, what was it, Rich? Is it like seven attempts a game? Close to eight, yeah. Eight, yeah. You'd be like, oh, that's really good. Well, if I told you they had another guy shooting 57% from three, and he's taking, <laughs> I think I think he's about the same. In three terms and a half. Of, three and a half a game. Three, oh, he's, I thought he was a few more than that. But it's like, it, it's elite floor, floor spacing. It's elite size. And in college basketball, you can't really ask for more than having – the ability to, to also shoot and then also dump the ball down low and play with bigs. Cause that's what you see a lot of times in college. You, like you had said, you see teams that don't have the dominating big, they rely on the three ball to try to catch you with your pants down and shoot you out of the gym. And then the teams that have the, the reliable big or two, they usually play through them a la Hunter Dickinson, even a Drew Timmy, a Zach Eady. They're playing through those guys. Um, and you know, it's, it's a little bit more inside outside game. These guys can kill you either way. 
And yes, right. I believe it still stems from Sonogo is the driving force. But, but like they could, they could even play Klingon and Sonogo together because Sonogo's yeah. has has expanded his game. You know, he, yeah. he's, he's shooting. He I think looks, thirty. He looks more mobile. He looks more athletic yeah. this year, and he's shooting from the outside. Thirty-seven yeah. percent from three, and I mean, he's probably. I think he's only taking maybe one, two. Yeah. I think he's taking like two attempts close a game, to, close to two. Yeah. But like that, it's just enough. I mean, as much as I love Timmy, if Timmy was shooting two threes a game and or was and hitting them at thirty five percent, give or take, yeah, the Zags' entire offense would open up that much more. And it just goes to show that you know th- this team's legit. And you know, I'm pretty confident that that fifty six percent three point percentage will come down of <laughs> But I mean, these two have really impressed me. And I'll be honest, these are two guys that weren't uh, – we talked about Sonogo not being on my radar. Hawkins and Donovan weren't on my radar at all. I mean, I, I was aware of who Donovan was because 7'2 freshman, like you kind of, you know, were travels. But, I mean, he, he's playing like one of the best centers in college basketball, and he's doing it in 15 minutes a game. Imagine what his, you know, per 30-minute per game averages are. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think these two are legit, and they're a big reason why I think UConn's the best team in the country. Yep, yep. So then we're going to talk about two more players on the same team, and one of the teams I just said were one of the best teams in the country, and that's Alabama's Jaden Bradley and Noah Clowney, both of whom are freshmen, both who were key in the win over Houston. Um, And, you know, uh, Bradley, I believe, was a McDonald's All-American and a top 25 recruit. Clowney was a top 100 guy, but he was more like around 75. I don't think anybody expected what they're getting from him. Uh, And he's like 6'10". He's he's a little bit on the lanky side, but uh, he's showing the ability to hit threes. Um, Believe it or not, he's taking almost four a game. He's only hitting 27% and and not shooting great from the foul line. But he's also, in 23 minutes a game, adding 8.3 rebounds a game and 1.3 blocks. And he was just kind of like making plays all over the court in the win against Houston. But to me, it was Bradley, Jaden Bradley's ability to attack the rim fearlessly against Houston that actually gave Alabama the confidence to say he's, to me, was the one that took charge and said, we can play with these guys. Uh, We're not afraid of these guys. And he just kept on driving it in there and driving it in there. And he's very acrobatic at the rim. And, um, and he's not much of a shooter yet, but I mean, when he does shoot, he shoots pretty well. But he's but it's very limited. But right now, he's making sixty seven percent of his threes. But he's averaging less than a half an attempt a game. So he's very one dimensional right now, you know, offensively. Um, but still, highly talented little point guard. And uh, these two guys are definitely moving up our draft board. I don't know if either of them are ready for the draft. Um, and yeah. I I don't think. They should come out, um, but I they might. Not. They they might. You know. You know. I yeah. I think both of them have to improve offensively. But the yeah. thing to me was Brandon Miller was mostly invisible in that Houston game, and he's the he's the one everybody's talking about. And this is this is becoming a pattern for Brandon Miller. By the way, when he plays against good teams, he disappears. Okay, the only team, the only game he had against a good team was Michigan State. And Michigan State was missing their best defender, who would have covered him in that oh, game, yeah, and that's yeah. Malik Hall. Um, so, 
Yeah, let's not uh, call Brandon Miller a top, which we talked about last week, not quite yet a top 10 pick to me. Um, and But yeah, uh, these these freshmen, you know, actually, you know, you could start making the argument that this freshman class uh, maybe collectively might be more talented than Arkansas's. I think, yeah, I think the argument to be had is these guys, they just need a little bit more seasoning because they're not, they weren't the five, but... I mean, you, you you look at Clowney, you look at Bradley, and it's like they're they're playing above their above, I guess, like what you would expect from a freshman. They're not they're not pressing like Miller's pressing, in my opinion, at times. Yeah, yeah. That's what a thirty seven percent, thirty eight percent field goal percentage tells me is you're kind of pressing, um, and that's a conversation for another day. But these guys in limited minutes are doing things really, really, really well. I mean, they're both playing. I think they're definitely under twenty five minutes a game. I'm not sure. Um, but I mean, they're probably in the low twenties around 20 and like 8.3 rebounds a game. And almost, I mean, Clowney's almost averaging a double, double. He's about nine and a half points, eight and a half rebounds. And like you said, the three ball isn't really there, but the fact that he's even willing to take it, you know, shows, all right, Hey, maybe there's a game where he gets hot. And in, in despite the problems from three and the free throw line struggles, he's still shooting 48% from the field. So it's not tanking his efficiency. And I really like Brad. What I like from Bradley is I'm already starting to see like point guard, abilities i'm not he's not like a, i don't i'm not gonna go as far as say he's like a, a pure playmaking point guard but three assists to 1.8 turnovers as a true freshman playing the schedule that they've played that 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 impresses me i'm a big believer and you have to have ball handlers and this team's only going to get better because javon quinterly is going to get better as well like right. he's going to help he's playing but they actually bench quinterly right for bradley you yeah. know in the second half of that houston game yeah, and I, and I think as Quinterly picks it up, I could see Bradley having an impact a la, again, different players. I'm just saying impact-wise, maybe like as a Zakai Ziegler had last year as like a second-unit guard who yeah, would come yeah. in. Well, they could different also players. play together, too. Yeah, D- different players. So I'm not I'm not saying they're one-to-one, but like that impact of like you get in that a second guard who can run that unit, can play off the ball if he has to with a Quinterly, and, and comes in with that second unit and gives you spark, gives you some playmaking, attacks the basket, you know, can shoot, not a shooter, but can shoot. Yeah, I, I really like these two freshmen. I, I don't know if I'd go. I don't know if I'd say as talented as Arkansas because I've seen those Arkansas freshmen have some monster games. Right. But right. maybe in like a year, I could see these guys being guys we look back in, when they're sophomores, being like the two best players on this team, and going, "Oh man, okay, these guys are legit. Like we should have saw this one coming." Right. Right. So we'll move on to a team that nobody's really talking about, but I think they have a chance that they're probably going to be on the bubble for the tournament all year, and that's uh, Clemson. And uh, we're going to talk about two players from Clemson. One is uh, P.J. Hall, who was a pretty – he was a top 100 recruit who last year played a good portion – just put up really good numbers last year uh, playing on a broken foot for a majority of the year. And then – he dislocated his kneecap right. at some point. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what point it was, but it, I believe it was in the offseason. So, he, yeah, he wasn't ready for the start of the season, and they've been limiting his minutes up until recently. But uh, P.J. Hall is really starting to come on, and he's um, he's the type of guy that has a, has a post game mm-hmm. uh, but also can shoot it. And uh, an athletic big, you know, he projects to be a stretch four. Um, and he's been pretty hot lately. Um, if I look up, I'm just going to look up his numbers if I remember. I think he had an off game 
against Loyola Chicago. He was off, but he yeah yeah. But before then, in Townsend game, and there was another game, and he had like a three game stretch where he was averaging yeah. like over twenty a game. Yeah, he scored. He scored uh, at least twenty one in three straight games yeah. uh, until the loss to Loyola Chicago, which I did not see that game, but it certainly surprised me because Loyola Chicago isn't really the Loyola Chicago that we're used to. Yeah, but yeah. Um, so. Uh, Hall is definitely starting to come around. And in all three of those uh, 20-point performances, he was two for two for three and two for four for three, one of three from three. So and um, so right now he's only averaging still about 20 minutes a game because of they were limiting his minutes. But lately he's been getting uh, over 20 minutes a game. So he's definitely a player to keep an eye on. Not in our top 100 yet. But um, you know, this guy just amazes me how the numbers he puts up when he's not even that healthy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm still – This is. I have a lot of reservations about Hall because of the health, but I will give him this, that that 3%, that three-ball percentage has consistently crept up, and now for a 6'10 kind of forward – I think they have him listed as a center, but like for, you know, a big – that 35% looks, looks nice. I just want to see the numbers, what they look like when he's getting back to probably like 28, maybe 30 minutes a game. Yeah. yeah. I'm not – like the rebound numbers are, are low. He doesn't have any real playmaking upside, but he can shoot. There's like He's an offensive threat to score, but I need to see it just a little bit more personally. But if he can get to maybe six, seven rebounds a game, maybe an assist – be around 14, 15 points and keep that, you know, 54% from the field, 35% from three. And he's a, he's a good free throw shooter. He has a nice stroke. He has a good stroke from the line. Like for, for a big, I, I can see the potential. I still just, I'm, my reservations are out on him a little bit more than some of the other guys on the stock rising list. And and part of that's because he's been hurt. Like that's not really his fault. It's right. just because right. it's hard with injuries to get an accurate read on a guy. But, but again, you know, he put up really nice numbers last year. Yeah. Um, you know, pretty much all the way around and was playing on a broken foot. that I, guess, I didn't know. Which we, is, we, no, I don't think yeah. they knew. Uh, yeah. I don't think it was diagnosed properly. Uh, but the guy's been picking up the slack, and uh, he kind of started toward the end of last season when Hall was hurt and uh, been carrying over in this season is Hunter Tyson, who uh, he's kind of a small forward, stretch four type, about six seven is Hunter Tyson. Uh, and he's uh, shooting 43% from the free, uh, from three, uh, 86 from the line, 45% from the field, and he's bringing in nine over nine rebounds a game. Um, and so I haven't seen Hunter play a ton this year, um, but he does have a nice stroke. He just broke into our top 200, so he, you know he's a, he's a ways away, but definitely another player to keep an eye on. Uh, and this is why I think Clemson is a team to uh, be wary of because there's talent. They yeah, have talent. Like Tyson, Tyson has emerged thanks to Hall's injuries. And now they're both, you know, once they're both healthy, this is going to be, you know, you got two bigs who can stretch yep. the floor, you know? Yeah. So moving on, um, one of my favorite players, in the ACC is Justin Mutz. Now, Mutz is not going to overwhelm you. He's a super senior. Uh, he's, he's solidly built, muscular, athletic, 6'7", 230 type of guy. Um, he plays kind of point forward for Virginia Tech. They like to run their offense a lot out of him, out of the high post. 
and um, he's a good defender, and he's just one of those guys that does a little bit of everything, a scrapper, you know, uh, and right now, uh, it's just Virginia Tech is looking better than we expected, and you got to remember, this is the team that won the ACC tournament last year, Um, so uh, they're looking just as good, if not better, this year, and one of the, and Mutz is probably their best overall player. And this year he's averaging uh, 61% from the floor, 46% from three, uh, over eight rebounds a game, close to four assists a game, close to two steals a game, uh, close to one block a game. So, like I said, this is a stat sheet stuffer, but he's not a prolific scorer. You know, 13 points a game. He'll give you 20 on some nights, but they have a lot of guys on this team that can score. Nobody is a star on Virginia Tech, but they have a lot of good players. And he's probably the best of the bunch. I've only seen him in one game. And my one introduction to him, at least this year, was when he absolutely destroyed North Carolina and dropped 30 on them. Right. And they could have no answer for him. So I, I'm not, I can't really give a fair critique of his game because I probably saw him play his best game like ever. Uh, well, no, he was. I, I think he was the main reason why they won the NCAA or the ACC, ACC tournament. Last tournament last I don't remember year. him from last year's team. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, that was my only game that I watched him play, uh, and he was an absolute force in that game. So I don't have too much to add because I'm not familiar with like the more highs and lows of his game. But, but man, this guy—the one thing I will say—the way he he looked physically, though. Like, that was something that caught my eye. was, like, there was a physical, like, again, he's probably legit 230. Yeah, um, and he's muscular. And it's he's muscular. muscular. Like, he has that, he has a man body, which um, did kind of catch my eye. And, again, it helps when you drop 30 on a team that was one game away from winning the national championship last year. Right. All right. So, our next, this is our first player. Matthew Meyer uh, is the first player to have the honor to be on both our stock falling in stock rising list and this may not end because that's the way matthew plays yeah (laughs) and i just we had to move him up a little bit because he looked like the second coming of larry bird against texas at least in the first half and he just went nuts against texas and he was making all kinds of athletic and difficult shots you know shots on the move and this is what matthew meyer is i mean he has a loaded talent and he could pretty much do anything on the basketball court, but then he follows that up against in the loss to Penn State with 14 points. Okay, that's all right. Four of 11 from the field, that's okay. Two of eight from three, not very good. But you know, and so that's that's where we are with Matthew. You know, we we know that he has the talent to be an NBA draft pick. It's just um, and. You know, he started off really slow and seems to be picking it up some, certainly did in that Texas game, which I thought was interesting because that's probably the best defensive team they played all year. By far. Yeah. Uh, they did play Virginia, who's okay. I think Texas they, is better. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm saying, like, I'm just trying to think. Like, it, it's 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 got to be them. It's it, They're up there. I'm, I'm out on Matthew, and I have been for the last two years, to be completely honest. Um, I think his peak was when Baylor won the national championship. Was that what two, three three years ago now, or three seasons ago? Yeah, yeah. or two. Two, two, that was the perfect, two seasons. Perfect role for him. He was able to kind of come off the bench and and just give like a spurt and just like, hey, be good for like 
seven minutes this game. Just be really good for like seven to eight, seven to ten minutes, and we'll figure the rest out with you know everyone else. And I'm like, that's just what he is. Like he had a great game, but the rest of his game log is, in my opinion, like disgusting. Yeah, like bad, like bad, like not good. He has had one good game this year. Uh, he was okay against UCLA because I did watch the game. He was like okay against UCLA. So you have to give him stock rising because he had a great game against arguably the best team in the country that you could argue. Right. And right. Like the first half, he was the best player on the court. But I'm just kind of out because, you know. No, I, yeah. I get it. I get it. But the problem you have as a draft evaluator is when you see what a guy's ceiling is. Right. How how do you balance that and out? We know his ceiling is probably higher than, you know, 40 guys that are ranked higher than him on our draft board, you know, but yeah, but he's not right now. I mean, he's back in our top 100, but he's still not really in draft range. He's still outside the second round. He's liable to either. I mean, like you could get a 15.4 rebound, five assist efficient game, or you could get a 4.0 assist, three rebound. Right, but imagine it, imagine him in the NBA only playing 15 minutes a night. Yeah, given his all for 15 minutes a night. Yeah, I, I think that his his niche role is going to be that you are a bench unit shock trooper. We're gonna find you. He said 10 to 15 minutes a game, and he's gonna come in. And so I, I mean, like I see the value there, but I just. I'm just kind of out on. I'm just personally. No, out I, I get it. I I don't like the inconsistency whatsoever. Because yeah. it, it's it's so volatile, and it's not like he doesn't have that calling card. Where it's like, okay, the the shots not dropping, but he's giving you six assists still. Or hey, he's not really doing anything for you like defensively. But man, when this guy this guy can shoot lights out, like I just there's there's really nothing he does well enough for me to look past the fact that he does everything at like an eh kind of level. But that's just a personal thing. Maybe I'm still salty because they crushed my team in the tournament. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is, folks. I'm just butthurt still. But I'm kind of out on Matthew. I'm sure he's a good dude. And he, I'd want him on a team because of that spurt, spurt ability of, like, he can give you a spurt here and a spurt there. But at some point, you can't be a, a spark plug. you got to be able to, you know, have some long-lasting impact on the court. Just my take. All righty. So the next guy, uh, Tavion Kinsley, is somebody we actually talked about in depth last year in our mid-major special. And Tavion was probably at one point in our top 100, uh, and this would have been probably the beginning of last year, but he was so dreadful last year that he just dropped and dropped and dropped. But the guy who wrote in and asked the question, why would you why would you rank 900 players? Well, you know what? He dropped, but he dropped to maybe like in our 200s or 300s, so I still see his name. And then, you know, then I remember, oh, this guy really has talent. I, yeah. should, go, I should go see how he's doing this year. And you know what? Now, admittedly, Marshall has not played a tough schedule, uh, but Tavion is definitely a player to keep an eye on because he has NBA athleticism. There is no doubt, no doubt about it. Probably one of the more athletic players on our draft board. Um, he's a six, five wing, uh, plays for Marshall. And this year he's averaging 21 points a game, 55% from the field, 43% from three on low volume. So that's been one of the big knocks on him is can he make his threes? And it seemed last year when he tried to increase his volume to prove a point, it went backfired on him. 
Uh, but he's always been solid from the free throw line. And this year, uh, he's shooting 77%, uh, almost six rebounds a game, almost six assists a game for a wing, for a wing. Um, now, I haven't seen Marshall play this year. I've seen I've seen Tavion play a fair amount before, but I have yet to see Marshall play this year. But I'm definitely going to tune in soon. Uh, also, uh, 2.3 steals and 0.8 blocks. Uh, and only 2.1 turnovers for somebody uh, who's playing 38 minutes a game. So that's pretty good. So everything is positive for Tavion. Uh, so he's not yet back in our top 100, but he's closing in. I haven't seen Tavion play full, you know, full transparency. I'm not familiar with Marshall, so right. take your word for it. I mean, I just looked up his stats. The guy's he is putting up numbers, that's for sure. Yeah, and he's definitely an NBA athlete. You know, he's gonna he's one of the probably one of the he's one of those highlight real players. Right. All right, here's a guy you are familiar with who, you know, the more and more I watch him. The more and more I'm thinking, you know what, this guy might be the best player on University of Miami. That's going to go there. At least in terms of uh, NBA potential. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he might not. I was going to say, he's got the size at 6'6", 6'7". He's their best player on Miami right now, who I just looked, just crept into the 25 spot. And... While there's still been that un- inconsistency from what I projected, what I'm sure a lot of people projected, to be their two best players in terms of Nigel Pack and um, Isaiah Wong, man, Jordan's been yeah, just steady. By the way, I didn't announce who we're talking about. We're talking about uh, uh, Jordan Miller, the 6'7 six, six, wing uh, for Miami, and he's just been red hot. And um, and he... Yeah, he to me, you know, when I think about his size and his scoring, his defense, and his ability to impact the game in multiple ways, you know, and one thing he doesn't have, uh, he's also a really good passer. I was just about to say his passing again, it, it gets overshadowed because in the college ranks, you've got the other two higher, kind of higher profile, bigger name guards, but his passing is so steady. He's not going to get you just because there's there's three guards to feed. Like he's not going to get you eight, nine assists just because that's not what his role is. Right. But right. like you're getting three or four a game and they're good pa- like they're good passes. He's not a he moves the ball. I mean he, he's he's I not mean, some of them are pretty spectacular too. Exactly. Like he he's he's passing with with flair, but he's also making the right read. Cause I think a lot of times in basketball we confuse a fancy pass, like a guy who can make a fancy pass for a good passer. He's a good passer. I mean, just look up his numbers. His last, I just pulled him up here. His last was at four games. He has five turnovers to 12 assists, I think it is. You know, 12, 13 assists. And his yeah, last well, couple yeah, games. Yeah, so in his last four games, he's got 13, 13 assists and four. No, no, wait. Where five is turnovers. Because he had four against Rutgers. I know okay. that. Okay. But I'm just like, and like, I know like assist to turnover ratio is a quick number to look at, but like that just tells me that this guy plays with a good feel for the game. The scoring's an added plus. He's shooting from three just good enough to, again, be a viable threat. You know, he's not taking insane volume, but he's taking close to four and he's hitting him at 36%. Just a very complete player. And I definitely agree with you, Rich. I think this is the guy that NBA teams are going to look at because he has that size and he's, and he's showcasing. He's, he's, he's decent on the glass. He's a solid free throw shooter. He good defender. Enough, good defender. Enough scoring touch where they're not probably expecting him to go score 25 a game, but they're going to be like, dude, if you can give us 12 in the NBA from all three levels, defend, 
move the ball. This is totally the type of guy that's a second unit kind of guy you want on your bench. I'm a big fan of Jordan Miller, and I do agree. Not only do I think he's he's the best NBA prospect, there's slowly a case being built where he might actually be the best player on that team as it stands. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that's where I'm getting. Uh, and and Nigel Pack, uh, even though he's picked it up somewhat, uh, mm-hmm. he, I I'm he's fall he continues to fall on our draft board. He he might be off it sooner than later. Yeah. Um, so that's just a side note. Uh, all right, the the final guy is just a unbelievable stat sheet stuffer yeah. who uh, I actually discovered at – well, I didn't discover him. I made note of him when he was at Siena because uh, he was prolific at Siena, and I actually watched him play a little bit when he was there just because I was like, who is this guy? I mean, his freshman season was just spectacular. Um uh, but he continues to be productive now that he's a super senior with Penn State, and that's Jalen Pickett. Um, and Jalen is unusual in the sense that the way, if you see him play now, it's very different from the way he played at Siena. Siena, he was known more of kind of like a mid-range creator, like a Gerard, uh, Jamar DeRozan type of guy. And now he's become more like Jalen Brunson-like, and he, like, dominates people in the post. (laughs) But he still has that ability, you know, to hit the three, to hit the mid-range shot. He's not really shooting well from three this year. But if he can pick up that part of his game, I'm not so sure that he can't be an NBA player. I know his athleticism is below par, but he is a big guard, and he's a strong guard. And I don't know, you know, I'm, I I do worry about the athleticism and the shooting definitely needs to pick up. Career-wise, he's a 35% shooter from three. Right now, he's shooting 29%. But listen to his other numbers. 16 points per game. Um, 48% from the field. 79% from the free throw line. Almost eight rebounds a game. Almost eight assists per game. 1.5 steals, 0.6 blocks, and only 1.9 turnovers per game, and he's playing 35 minutes per game. Those are amazing numbers. Yeah, no, I I, I was really watched him during the when they when they beat Illinois. It was the first time I really watched him, and he was like at will. I mean, he did whatever he wanted on the court. 20 points, seven boards, six assists. Again, only two turnovers. Um, I, I agree that like I I had a hard time and again it's the only game I've watched him play this year going NBA just because I was I was underwhelmed with the athleticism and like he just there was just like man this guy knows how to play the game the right way which is just such an advantage at the college level like he's older good body in terms of just his size like he just plays with a strength that you know I would assume someone who's 22 would um but, I mean, you can't deny that the guy knows how to play basketball. And sometimes when you're looking at a guard, I could totally see this being a summer league addition to a roster. Uh, you know, Jay oh, yeah, on for sure. roster. And then and then ends up maybe just sticking around in, like, a G League team and finds his way on a team after a year or two because you can't deny the numbers. I mean, he's fifth in the country in assists. He's giving you solid scoring. And if he can just, again, in today's NBA, if you can just be a viable shooting threat, that's enough to get you a look. And if you do all these other things well and play with a good IQ, understand your role, which he clearly does, I wouldn't be shocked to see a team take a flyer on him. 
probably not draftable because they're just there's he's just not that athlete. But again, but know. it's kind of funny. He reminds me of Jalen Brunson, and sure. they said the same thing about Jalen Brunson. Yeah. Um. So you know, <laughs> I, now I think Brunson was always more athletic. You know, had a little more speed and quickness than Pickett. Yeah. But Pickett's bigger and stronger. If you ask yeah, me, he, or no, at least he, 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 at least at he was at college. You know, yeah. at the college level. You know, I, I I was impressed. Like at will, I mean, he shot fifty three percent against that team, and basically was just living in like the mid range paint area. He took one three and didn't even make it, and he still scored twenty. So, right, I was, I yeah, was, he gets I was the impressed. line a lot too, and he, yeah, yeah. All right, so the next guy on our stock falling, and now you know, I always have to keep in mind is when we say a guy's stock is falling, we don't mean he's falling off the draft board. We don't mean he's undraftable. We just mean that the stock is falling. And this, of course, we're starting off with uh, Derek Whitehead of Duke, the freshman who started on our board. Uh, and we left him up there for quite a while at the number three overall spot. And the reason we did is because he uh, was coming off foot surgery and was out for about two months and finally, you know, came back to play, but they've been slow to bring him along and he's been playing more and more. And he actually got his first start on Saturday because, um, Jeremy Roach was injured, so they started uh, Whitehead, and they played against Maryland Eastern Shore. And he didn't have a bad game, but he's not doing. He's not playing at a top five draft pick level, and so that's the point I'm yeah. trying to make. While Nick Smith is pouring in twenty points a game with ease. Whitehead is, you know, kind of struggling against Maryland Eastern Shore. And in that game, he had 15 points, but he was only one of five from three. Um, he didn't do much else, you know, box score wise. He did have two steals. Um, so that's good. But overall, if you look at his numbers, they're just uh, not very good right now. And obviously, you know, for him to be a lottery pick, you know, he's still, and I don't know, if the draft was today, he'd probably still be a lottery pick. But I don't, I don't think he followed top 10 right now. Um, but, you know, he's only shooting 37% from the field, 25% from three. Um, so, yeah, it just gives you an idea of where he's going right now. Now, again, he's been out for a long time. Uh, and they're just trying to, you know, work him into things. But it's it's obviously he's off to a slow start. Yeah, I don't have, have much to add other than, you know, he's going to have to turn it around. I, sooner rather than later because they start ACC play. I think like now. I think their next game is in the ACC. If I'm not mistaken. No, no, I don't think so. Um, I think they're, yeah, but it's coming up. It's coming, it's coming up. up, and they're gonna they're gonna need him. Um, it as always. There's good teams. You got Virginia, Miami, Virginia Tech's playing well. Notre Dame's always a threat. North Carolina could figure it out. So, not much to add other than you know I'm you can't sell your stock entirely because he's still young. He's missed a lot of time and the pedigree's there, but. I haven't seen – I could tolerate bad performance, inconsistent performances from a highly tired freshman if I see it from time to time. But, like, I haven't seen it really at all. And yeah, I'm, that's, the, that's the other thing. You know, he really has – I mean, he's had moments, but they're really infrequent and they're not that spectacular. And, yeah. you know, but, hell, you know, like I said, he was. I think he was almost out for two months, all told. Uh, yeah, but, I think it was seven weeks or six yeah, weeks. Yeah, so something weeks. like that. So, um, yeah. Um, 
wish him the best. And, and there's a good chance he might be their best player at the end of the year, like we thought he would be. But right now, it's just he's he's uh, haven't put it together yet. So the next guy we're going to talk about is Colin Castleton, uh, the big man for Florida. And uh, if you watch the Connecticut game, you could see that he was clearly overwhelmed by Connecticut's bigs. Um, and that, uh, I, I mean, I mean, his body language, it, it wasn't, he, he, I, I don't know. He just kind of looked defeated. <laughs> um, and, um, so he clearly was a notch below those guys. Uh, and, um, but more importantly on the season, he's really not having a great year. This is a guy we know has some shooting ability, and we expected him in his super senior year um, to maybe start displaying that, but that really hasn't come around. Uh, he's only shooting 13% from three on less of one a game, but he's also dropped down to 49% from the field uh, when he had been, for his career, he had been uh, over 54%. Uh, his rebounding numbers have dropped, you know, from this year to last down to 7.5. Um you know, his other numbers are, are good or, you know, okay. You know, 2.7 assists is nice, but he also has 2.3 turnovers. Um, and he's still doing good in the block department. Actually setting career highs right now at 2.8. But I, I guess, you know, with all these bigs that are available in this draft, you know, we considered Colin and probably still, you know, there's a chance he might be a second round pick. Uh, and I think we also have to consider Todd Golden, um, you know, seems to be struggling to get he, – he does have talent in Florida, but he seems to have trouble putting – right now putting together. I got plenty of comments on that one. All right. Well, well then, then I'll finish up and you can run. Um, but basically, you know, with all these bigs, you know, you, you got to consider, you know, you know, they're not all going to get drafted. And Castleton, you know, like I said, we had him kind of like end of the second round, but now he's dropped below that range. You know, now we maybe have him in the 70s on our draft board. Or I should say our draft board will be soon to be released. Yeah. I mean, we, on on Colin, I, I think this is a player where, you know, last year he was a senior, solid year, 16 points, nine boards. Like he was, he was on radars, played really well. Um, I believe they lost in the first round of the tournament, I'm not, tournament, maybe won a game, but like had a really solid year. But, you know, I, I think sometimes what we do in college, and at least I know I do this, especially with bigs, is you, you keep projecting like, you know, they're going to keep developing, they're going to keep developing. But I think a player, and, and you know what, I'll even put, Drew Timmy's kind of falls in this category. I think there's a point where they just, they hit their like ceiling. And I think last year, and it's not a bad thing to be a really good you know, first team caliber, all ACC, or I'm sorry, all SEC, ACC, whatever it is, player, wherever Florida, like that's not a bad thing. Right. But of course I, not. I, I think we might have saw last year because his numbers are pretty much across the board, like you said, Rich, either a little bit lower or relatively the same outside of blocks. And even in his blocks, it's only a marginal increase. It's not like he's averaging two more blocks a game. And I think that's the thing with Colin is he's, this is the player he is, and this is the player he's going to cap out at. I'm not saying he can't become a little bit better of a shooter, but to expect him to make great strides, and I'm not saying that was us or just in general, maybe we just, you know, you get so used to in college, you come in as a freshman, and you come back as a sophomore a little bit better, and then a junior a little bit better. Maybe last year, 
That was his senior year. That was his fourth year. That was his peak. And I think that's where he's at. And to be honest, you know, going into the Todd Golden thing, he's a USF guy. I was never a Golden believer because I think his resume was really just like kind of off. I mean, he basically coached all throughout the COVID. And, you know, the team was okay in the WCC. Like they weren't great. They were the third best team in the WCC last year. Maybe the fourth that they split with BYU if you really didn't like USF. And so if you're just average, slightly above average in the WCC, and now you're going to the SEC. Yeah, he was definitely a surprise hire. It It is not – it's not a walk in the park. Now, if you're a program like a St. Mary's or the Zags who have a 10-year run of sustained success both in the conference – I mean, we talk highly of Indiana. People forget St. Mary's beat Indiana by 20 in the tournament last year. Like, there's – those are different – standards of coaching few randy bennett i'm if those guys were to ever make a jump to a power five i'm full i'm full stop on board because they've shown me time and time they can do it golden had three years at usf covid years involved like there was covid issues goes to the tournament loses in the first round you know has i just and then to make that kind of a jump into a very competitive conference i'm not saying he can't be good he's only in his fourth year of coaching he's a young guy but this was my step last year in general, is there was just this massive overrated nation notion of, well, they made the tournament and they didn't really play anyone last year. Their best games were against the Zags and St. Mary's. Those were their best resume games. Who they BYU, play. BYU. You know, BYU, like the best teams they their best win was against Davidson, which right. was early in the season. And Davidson, like, you know, was an okay middle of the pack tournament yeah. team. Right. So I just think in general, I think from Florida as a whole. Golden's, I think, a little bit in over his head, if I'm being completely honest. Not saying he can't turn yeah. around, but... You know, if you look up and down that roster, there are so many guys... There's a lot of pieces. That are, that are Right, and they're also kind of underperforming what they've done yeah. throughout their careers. Exactly. Kyle, Kyle Lofton, uh, Alex Fudge, uh, uh, Marion Jones, who we yeah. talked about before. All those guys are doing worse than they, like, yeah, it's uh, not. I, I just think that I, I don't. He, right now, it doesn't look like he's going to last long. No, I, I, I don't. I don't think so. And again, it's just it's such a big jump. I would have loved to see him stay at USF, build a St. Mary's s kind of program, and then make the decision: Do I want to stay here and and be competitive and compete at a high level in WCC and turn myself into a team that can win a game or two in the tournament and and go from there and then maybe jump? But you basically got a coach. Who, the way I look at it had really one normal year of coaching where he went 22 and 12, didn't make the tournament because they didn't play anybody in his first year. They didn't make the tournament? No, I guess in they did In his first year, he's oh. only been in the tournament one. It was last year, but he was, he's was right, been there right. since 2019, 2020. Okay, right. Um, so, like, you had your first year where COVID, and then your second year still kind of COVID-esque. And so, okay, fine. So he's had one full kind of normal year of coaching. And, yeah, they made the tournament, but – they weren't really world beaters, and they barely no. got in. Like, if you look at their resume. Oh, no, yeah, they were definitely a bubble team. So, I don't know. I don't want to sound like a hater. I actually, that's a much deeper rabbit hole uh, in terms of my <laughs> disdain for some USF practices. Um, I told you, Rich, when I first met you, I actively root against them. Uh, I was all in on Murray State, baby. The Riders or whatever they're called. But, yeah, back to Castleton. I think he's a good player. I just think, and this is something that I think we have to come to terms with, and I think we do as the season progresses. We might look back and go, this guy's basketball ceiling, in at least in the U.S., might be first team all eight or SEC basket center, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and there's still draft potential there. There's a lot of time for him to turn it around, but 
I mean, he's literally the same player he was last year. Yeah. If not a little bit worse. Exactly. Exactly. So we we talked about Auburn at the top, whether they were a pretender or contender. And one of the reasons why I'm not too excited about him is two of their players are not playing up to what I thought they would in their draft stock is uh, dropping. Now, these players aren't playing horribly. No. They're just not playing what I thought I would do. And I'll start uh, with Janiah Broom. Uh, who was a transfer from Moorhead State, who I had watched a fair amount last year. And I was very impressed with his mobility, his uh, potential on defense, and he also showed some ability to hit an, an outside shot. This year at Auburn, he, and I didn't, I also did not, he's one of those players where I didn't think transitioning to a higher level I thought he was still I, – I saw enough athleticism that, right. you know, this guy's going to be okay. He's going to be fine. And he's doing okay, but he's not doing great. He and, was a force last year. Huh? He was a force last year. I remember him yeah, before. He, he, I remember yeah, when he carried, played. Right. And he he played, was, I remember he played Xavier when Xavier was really good. Yeah. And he had like a 20-something point double-double. I remember that game. Yeah. And, um, he's only 20 years old. And yeah. he's like a 6'10", 6'11", you know, thin guy. So, you know, he has plenty of time to develop right now. You know, Auburn has some other bigs they can throw out there. So, you know, I, I think it's pretty clear, though, that Janai is going to have to stay another year. Um, so I, I won't go through all his numbers, but, you know, he's having a good year, especially in terms of blocks. So he's a tremendous shot blocker. But I think right now it's trending that Janai is going to be back for another year. Another guy who I could say the same thing about, and um, he's this, you know, he's a fun player to watch, but he's also can be an exasperating player to watch, and that's little Wendell Green. And this would also apply to Auburn's other point guard, K.D. Johnson. The difference between K.D. Johnson and Wendell is K.D. really likes to attack the rim. And they're both very fast and very athletic. I, I'd say KD is probably more athletic. And he he's a fearless rim attacker. But neither of these guys are shooting well. And this is and they're both can be chuckers, you know. Um, they're both averaging over four three attempts, four point four three point attempts per game, and they're both shooting under 32%. So um yeah, so basically this is why I'm not too uh, high on Auburn because these little guards, as dynamic as they can be, they just haven't taken the steps to improve as shooters. Uh, one other note, Alan, Alan Flanagan, who was on the show over the summer, and he had a very poor year last year coming off an Achilles injury. Alan is finally, uh, and I'm very happy for him, I say this with you know happiness, uh, is starting to play at his former level. And he might be Auburn's best player this year. Uh, I think if he continues to – and he might move himself into draft range. Um, but uh, he's definitely a 3 and D type of guy and very happy to see him finally regain his form. I think Allen will probably, by the season end, I wouldn't be shocked if he's if – he's, if you don't want to call him their best, the most consistent player – Oh yeah, well, you know, yeah, like, just yeah, with Katie reliable. Johnson and Wendell. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you don't want to say, "Oh, he's not the, the best," if you don't want to give him that title, you'll probably be saying he's the most consistent. Um, like Janai, I don't really have any gripes with what he's doing because you know he's he's moved up, he's playing at a higher level, and he's still 
he's 20, doing what he did. 20 years old. Yeah, like he he's doing what he did at a at a pretty competent level still. Like he's still giving you eight boards a game, eight and a half. He's still giving you three blocks. He's scoring double digits. The field goal percentage is kind of a big drop off, but like, okay, fine. I chalk that up to level of competition in a year from now. I could see him maybe even by the end of the season, maybe not even a full year away, him being fine. But the guards, man, they really kill me. And this has kind of been an issue with Auburn the last couple years. Going back to last, the guard plays always just so erratic. They're, they're, they're chuckers. They love to put shots up. And like Wendell, I can't speak um, to their entire rotation of guards, but I know like Wendell's pretty turnover prone. Like I a lot. I mean, I, he just had he had four against. He fouled out and had four turnovers against Memphis. And like, yeah, he'll get you four or five assists. I think that's what he's around. He's averaging, but it's also like, yeah, but he's averaging three point nine assists. I'm just looking it up. But he's also averaging three turnovers a game. So it's like, yeah. they're not they, effective. They play. They play out of control. But yeah, it, it's just I, yeah. I I just I can't really fully buy stock because when it when the chips are down, you have to have guard play you can count on. And if I have a guard that. If you can't score, take care of the ball and get other people a chance to score. And if you can't do that, I need you to be able to score at least effectively so we're not wasting possessions on you trying to, you know, just put shots up. And both those guards are kind of in that weird zone of, like, they could be hot. I know that Wendell had a good game against St. Louis earlier this year, but then they could also have a game where, like, against Memphis where they're, like, ineffective and have four or five turnovers and you don't really look competitive with a team that's not that great. Right. Here's what I will say about Auburn. They're going to come, they're going to, you know, they're going to knock off a couple of teams. Somebody's going to be like in the top 10 in the, in oh, the yeah. SEC and they're going to knock them off. First of all, it's really tough to beat Auburn at Auburn. Yeah. Um, and this team, if those guards are clicking, they, you know, I mean, they, they can beat anybody, but they can score with anyone, but they the also can lose to anybody. Yeah. And, and that's where just my fear comes in. Like, I don't trust them. And that starts with the guards. So like I said, I'm going to give Broom a pass just because I don't, I, I agree with his stock falling because he's not clearly having the impact he had last year, but I'm willing to chalk that up to transitioning to a higher level conference. There's some age and he's still doing some things well. Like at a minimum, he's giving you good rebounding and shot protection or rim protection. Right. And that counts for something. The guards are like not really doing anything well. <laughs> They're just doing everything like okay with the occasional big game here or there. So next guy on our stock falling list is one of our favorites, uh, but uh, Kelvin Sanson doesn't seem to want to play him much, and that's uh, Terrence Arsenault, uh, Houston's freshman wing, a very athletic freshman wing, and in uh, against St. Mary's he only played 13 minutes. Uh, then against Northern Florida he played 22, but then against Alabama, even though uh, Travion Mark fouled out of the game. Terrence only got eight minutes in that game. So it's not so much that, you know, I think Terrence is going to need to be able to have the the stage to prove what he can do to, you know, right now he's kind of like a border round, borderline second-round pick, but we have that based on what we think we yeah. he can do. But yet yeah. we haven't really seen it except for maybe that Oregon game. Um and that so, Oregon game, you might be able to justify he's, he could creep into the first round based on age and potential. If you're just going off that Oregon game. Right, right, right. right. Um, but uh, so, yeah, his numbers aren't bad. And he's been he's been uh, very impressive at times when he's played. But Samson's not playing him much. I, I have no issue. And again, 
and this is for people listening, when we say stock falling, we're not saying it's necessarily all the players' production. Sometimes it's just playing time, injury. Like, there's other factors that go into a player's stock. Like, like Rich, you can't have a stock rising on a guy who's not on the court. You can't play eight minutes to have your stock go up. It's just, right. it's just not possible. I have no issue, though, long-term with Terrence. I remember watching him in high school thinking, like, you know what? This is a guy that all the tools are there physically. He just needs time to develop. And I'll give Kelvin Sampson this. That's what he does. They're developing program. Yes. A lot yes. of those players on that roster have are junior, seniors. They don't do the one and done. They don't do the – I mean, they are guys who are staying for multiple years. So Kelvin Sampson is coaching to win a national title with the expectations. I think in a close game against a really good Alabama team, he probably was like, I'm not putting a freshman in there to play big minutes in these key moments. You know, Ironically, he was getting beat by four freshmen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ironically, the freshmen were beating him. But um, I, I, I think long-term – that Oregon game, I think, you know, myself included, was very, like, intriguing, and it got me really excited. And I remember watching that game going, this is – if he's playing like this – because in, in high school, he was super athletic, played super hard, and the potential was there, but the offense was lagging. That Oregon game, I was like, oh, maybe his offense is more advanced than when I watched him. Fast forward, maybe not. Maybe that was just in, kind of an outlier. No, I, I think it's definitely there. I, I've seen him make oh, yeah. mid-range there's, there's shots. I've seen him – I've seen him make dribble dribble moves. I've seen him shoot make threes. You know, he's he's got he's got game. Oh yeah, no, he can play. He's one of my favorite freshmen. I just think this is a guy that I could totally see next year being given. You know, Sasser will oh, be gone. Oh yes, yes. Jamal, I think Jamal is going to be done. Right, he could emerge like Sasser did last yes. year. Yes, I think Terrence is. He's a he's a, a year away from being that guy because you see the potential now. He's definitely grown and improved from high school. I can tell you all that for sure. Uh, he's shown the flashes now. Don't be surprised if next year. This is a stock falling because I think Houston's just dealing with expectations of winning now. And Kelvin's like probably like dude, a year or two, and I'll get you a first-round pick. And I, I firmly believe that in a year I could see this kid being – if it all clicks, this guy has lottery potential in my opinion. If it all clicks, it's just not going to be this year. Right, right. All right, you mentioned the word one and done, and uh, <laughs> with that, we're going to talk about Kentucky, and uh, I think we uh, we had Damian Collins on the show, and I think he may have been on stock falling once before, um, but, you know, it's, it's, again, it's a similar issue with him uh, in the sense of just not getting the run. Um, but he's never gotten the run since his time being at Kentucky. And I will be shocked if this kid doesn't transfer. And we might and we and we might hear it before the season's over. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I was gonna ask you, Rich, what's the over under this kid's wearing another uniform next year? Right, right. Because odds, there's I no just, way he stays. Yeah, I just don't think we've seen enough for him to be a draft pick. And so uh, I really think he should go somewhere where he's – and I don't know why all these kids collect at Kentucky. And then ultimately somebody's somebody, at least a couple of them, are going to be left out every year. And he's just been – his number has been the guy that's been doing it for two years now. You know, we – I mean, Calipari said at one point, and we talked this when we interviewed him, you know, Calipari said he could be the best player in the country. Well, the best player in the country played six minutes against Yale on Saturday. I was going to say, he's, he's not he's, – it's not even like, hey, we have big games against Michigan. We got to go with the trust. It's like they beat – 
earlier this oh, year. Cloud, South Carolina. Was, oh, okay. Yeah, right. And he played 18 minutes, and they won by 40 almost. Yeah. You know, like they beat UNF, which is North Florida, by 40. He played 17 minutes. Yale, they were pretty handily in control of that game. He was only 10 points, and he played six minutes. Like, it's not even a, okay, hey, go play, you know, get your burn now. It's like, he just doesn't, he doesn't see the court at all. Right, right. And so we're also going to talk about uh, one of his teammates uh, who is getting playing time, but just isn't, is, just isn't doing it. And I think this is one of the, I mean, first of all, when you look at a Kentucky box score, uh, you know, I mean, you know, scoring in the 60s, you know, left and right against uh, mediocre to poor teams is this team is definitely not playing up to its potential. And one of the problems is CJ Frederick is basically almost shooting 10 points below like his career three point shooting percentage. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's not bad, 36%, but this is a guy we expected to be shooting somewhere between 40 and 45 this yeah. year, and uh, and he doesn't really do a hell of a lot else. So if C.J. Frederick isn't hitting shots, then he's not that valuable uh, to Kentucky or anybody else. So we had him in our top 200 um, not too long ago, and... Uh, he's now dropped out. Yeah, there's not a lot to say here. This is a uh, Duncan Robinson situation, like in the in the NBA, where it's like yeah, you're here to shoot and you're not doing it. Not that he's a bad; he's clearly a good shooter, right? But you know, I think there's something to be said about look. I was been a good basketball program the last couple of years. You know, you can go back to you know, just a few years ago, Luca Garza, and then you had the Murray twins, and like they're they're competitive this year. But I think there is also something to be said about like Kentucky's just a different brand. Basketball is consumed just a little bit differently. I don't know. I just feel that maybe it could be something as simple as like you're playing in Rupp Arena and the the expectations are now the spotlight is on you. You were the prize transfer acquisition. You were going to be the floor spacer. And when you don't do anything else, it's very apparent when you're shooting struggles because this is not a guy that's going to, oh, he's not shooting well, but he's playing stellar defense. Or, oh, he's not shooting well, but he's passing. He's dishing out eight assists a game. This is a guy that if he's not shooting well, he might as well be handing out water cups and waving towels on the bench because he doesn't right. do anything else. And that might sound critical, but the reality of it is, is Oscar Sheway's Oscar Sheway. Casson Wallace, who's my guy that was my freshman of the year, love him, has been playing well. But outside of that, this team, everyone else across the board is underperformed, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. You, you're right. You're, you're right. Uh, Those two are carrying the load. Um, really, really carrying the load. Um, Toppin and Reeves have been okay, but Casson Wallace, to me, has been the... Yeah, but a lot of people are saying player. Toppin has... I, I've never... You've never heard these words come out of my mouth, but you'll hear them. The Toppin has first-round potential, and no. he's not playing up to par. Well, yeah, I guess if you think he's a first-round pick, then yeah. But, I mean, he's playing okay. Um, maybe second-round potential if he actually... But he's definitely underperforming. His offensive... Uh, his scoring woes have been horrible. Yeah. He's shooting yeah. under 20% from three last time I checked. Uh, and, and I mean, I just pull up their team box score, and it's literally Oscar's doing what Oscar does 16 and 13. Great. Casson's been good 11, 4, and 3 on 53% from the field and 52% from three, which is pretty low volume. But outside of that, you look across the board, and there's just kind of question marks. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. All right. So we're going to move on to uh, Illinois team or. Uh, 
a team I, I generally really like, and I think they're basically right now, you know, trying to find the right rotation, the right combination okay. of players. And um, one of those guys whose stock is slipping is freshman Sky Clark. And he was a top 40 guy, um, maybe top 30, depending on what recruiting service you looked at. And uh, he's actually uh, Jaden Epps. Uh, I think you could definitely make the argument has played at least as well. He's yeah. a fellow freshman, but he wasn't nearly as highly touted. Um, is at least played as well as Clark, if not better. Uh, he certainly was better in the uh, win over Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, actually, when I mean, you look at their numbers, they're surprisingly close yeah. uh, in, in a lot of categories. Um, but I think overall, Clark's numbers are a little more impressive. But the bottom line to me is, I, again, this is a situation where you have a talented player, but I just don't see him, you know, establishing himself as a viable draft pick for this coming year. Yeah, I have Clark is playing like a freshman. I don't mean that in a bad way. He's playing like a freshman guard with on a good team that plays a good schedule and there's high expectations. You look up his box score numbers and they're not horrible. Like eight points, okay, four rebounds, two and a half assists. You know, he's at 46% from the field. So he's scoring with a solid level of efficiency. But he's 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 a year he's another guy that's a year away. I could see at, him, at least at least yeah. I could see him coming in, playing another year, bumping up his numbers, and then everyone like forgiving because I don't think he, he hasn't been bad. I don't. Want, I'm not trying. I, I've I've watched him play like I said once or twice now, twice I believe. And at no point was like, oh god, he he's killing them. It's just compared to the expectations, he's underperforming. But I I have no problem with Clark. Like on the list, he's probably one of the least offensive guys on this list to me right if not i think him and terrence are the two guys that i'm the least like offended like because i think terrence is more of a just a coaching decisions and team decision making um and i think sky is just he's just playing like a freshman who's playing you know in a tough schedule as a as a guard right and i think he'll be fine i agree all right, now we move on to the fun part of the show, our game predictions, and we are coming off a stellar week. Yes. And uh, no no one has criticized this via me- email, you know, but basically <laughs> we try to pick, we try to pick like toss-up like games, you know, in the bigger games. So um, theoretically, you know, these are mostly toss-up, toss-up like at least. Uh, but anyway, Drew last week went eleven and six to bring his record over five hundred at eighteen and sixteen. I was twelve and five, just one game better, and I am up to twenty six and fifteen. Maverick, who's on a temporary sabbatical, remains at two wins or two two correct, five wrong. Bad Maverick. <laughs> so, Rich, I don't know if you heard. This is kind of breaking news. Did you hear about the Chris Beard situation? No, you did not hear. Oh, uh, so Chris Beard is like in got arrested for like a domestic violence thing, oh, and they just announced that Texas has suspended him without pay until further notice. Wow, yeah, he was charged with a felony domestic violence charge. Wow, that's I, I, it, the news kind of broke this morning, but that's there like was Miles, that's like Miles Bridges, yeah. So, there, yeah, he's been suspended was- until further notice without pay. That's not good. Um, it does seem like somebody with a temper. Yeah. 
I just bring it out there because there was news earlier, but there was a lot of details. So I wasn't sure if it was just the police were called, but no, it looks like it's like serious. Right. Okay. So, uh, sad news. Um, first team, our first predictions uh, for this week is uh, Arizona State. It's a nine and one Arizona State. Includes a victory over Michigan uh versus Creighton at Las Vegas so Creighton travels again my goodness they uh don't have an e early easy season schedule they don't so. like playing at home they yeah um I will take Creighton here I'm gonna go with the talent Arizona State shout out to the Pac-12 you know them Washington there's been some teams that have played you know played well in the Pac-12 early but I just think Creighton has the talent and I think this is a get right game for them um, and this sets them up well to maybe try to springboard into the Big East. Yeah, I I, I agree. Uh, I think Creighton has uh, uh, Arizona State's played well. I can give them credit for that, but I think Creighton writes the ship. All right, so uh, Memphis at Alabama. This is, I think on this list, this might be the easiest one. I'm going Alabama. Yeah. I am too. Um, the only reason, I, you know, Memphis is has a pretty good record. Of course, they haven't played much you know anybody really uh and of course some people are calling them a tournament team which uh they're not all right so now we have ucla at maryland college park is a tough play to play and so they, it's at they're in maryland yeah 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 i'm gonna i'm probably gonna go with with maryland these teams are very close in the polls it's 16 to 20 maryland's been playing well um, I don't think UCLA has hasn't really been tested. And the last time they played two ranked opponents, they lost pretty handily to Illinois and Baylor. And that was over a month ago or close to a month ago. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm taking Maryland because UCLA having to travel across the country. They haven't, like I said, the last time that they really played anybody even remotely close to the AP polls, they lost. So I'll give it to Maryland at home. I hear you. I hear you. Uh I'm you know, my Listening to you makes me want to pick Maryland. So you're making you're making logic, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to go with UCLA, which was my initial thought. Um, all right. So next one we have Creighton again at Marquette. Uh, I'm I'm going to say Creighton gets again gets the ship righted, and they they roll into a two game win streak. I think Marquette has impressed, but I'm not going to overreact to them just molly whopping Baylor. I know that's the game that kind of that's the last game that I went back and watched them play. So I'll take Creighton. I'll go with the talent again on this one. All right. I just watched Marquette handle Notre Dame yesterday. I'm gonna go with Marquette. Um, I think they're a little under the radar right now. All right, tough one here. Indiana at Kansas. Oh, this one's hard. Um very. I'm gonna take I'll take Indiana because I don't think Kansas is anybody you can deal with Trace Jackson Davis. And I've just been low on I've been low on Kansas all year. I'm gonna to stick to those guns. And I think Indiana pulls this one out. But this one's tough because this is one game where like I think the home team's gonna just have that little bit of edge that might be enough to put them over, but I'm gonna go Indiana. I am too. And part of the reason was I was really impressed with the fight Indiana displayed against Arizona. You know, Arizona basically controlled, you know, had the lead pretty much the whole game. But yeah. Indiana kept on fighting back and fighting back. You know, it would go up, the lead would go up to 10, then it would go all the way down to three, you know. And I'm hoping they get Jalen Hood, their freshman star, uh, Jalen Hood's. 
Hood Shafino back, uh, which will just give them that much more uh, playmaking. All right, so here we have uh, a Wake Forest team that's actually doing pretty well. You happen to know their record? Uh, I will look it up really quick. I got it. I got it. Seven and three. Uh, They just dropped. uh, Oh, they beat Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Their last three games were Wisconsin, Clemson, LSU. Beat Wisconsin, lost to Clemson, and then lost a nail biter to LSU. Uh, and they're at Rutgers. I'm going to take Rutgers because just hearing that resume, both of these teams have their last couple games have been against good competition and been nail biters. Like Rutgers lost to Ohio State by one. They 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 blew out Indiana, and then they lost to Miami, who's now ranked by like five. I think it was it was a close game. So I'm going to give this nod to the home team. But again, this this could be a sneaky good game. I'm not familiar with Wake Forest. I am a little bit more familiar with Rutgers. So I'll right. go with the other Knights. Uh, Rutgers this weekend played a game to forget, and if anyone taped it on their DVR, just delete it. Don't even bother. It was 44-43 to Seton Hall win. Um, They set back basketball 20 years. But I am going to go with the Scarlet Knights at home because they're tough at home. And, of course, they play good defense. All right, Gonzaga at Alabama. Oh, this one hurts. Um, They've played a lot recently. This is hard because my heart says the Zags. And I do think that I don't but Alabama, the athleticism could be I'll take Bama at home and I hope I'm wrong. But Alabama at Alabama with that athleticism, I, I, I think could be a problem for the Zags. This is you know, Drew Timmy, ever since we had him on stock falling, has his last two games, he's had monster outings. <laughs> um so you know, maybe he heard me. And wanted to stick it to me, and I hope that's the case. And I hope I'm wrong, but I, I think Bama gets this one at home. I happen to agree. Uh, obviously, I, I, we've talked about Alabama a lot today, and uh, very, very impressed with that team. Uh, all right, here's a here's a good one. Oh. Houston at Virginia. Man, these are tough games to pick. Um, that's why we're the experts. This is like kind of a toss up to me. I'm I'm gonna go with the home team. I'm just gonna go Virginia, but this game could very quickly turn to a defensive slugfest. Um, Virginia is not as good defensively as they have been in the past, but we saw the chinks in the armor with Houston offensively, and I think Virginia at home playing really good basketball. I think they're just gonna execute offensively at a higher level than Houston is, and that's gonna be the difference. I agree. I agree. I like the fact that Virginia's home. I'm still, you know, I said why I picked Alabama last week to be Houston. I said, I just don't see, I'm not impressed with Houston's offensive firepower. Yeah. And I'm still not, you know, Sasser came up empty and the team came up empty. All right. So then we have, uh, I think it's called the champions classic, uh, which was uh, same teams every year. Uh, they just rotate around who plays whom. Uh, but first game in Madison Square Garden is North Carolina versus Ohio State. ACOT's back. Ohio State's been pretty solid all year. I'll, I'm going to go with North Carolina. I'll take North Carolina. I'm, I'm going to take the talent. I'm going to say they maybe right the ship, but I think this is a good game. 
Um, yeah. But I'll take North Carolina. Yeah, I'm pretty confident. I, I like the steps that North Carolina took yeah. this weekend against Georgia Tech. And maybe it's a little early, but, you know, last year, maybe I don't exactly remember when they started to do their turnaround, but right. I think eventually they're going to do a similar turnaround. Um, and this I'm going to get a game. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Now we have another big game involving UCLA. Uh, UCLA versus Kentucky in the same tournament at the Garden. I'm going to go with UCLA on this one. I'm just I'm just not impressed with Kentucky. Um, I know what they do really well and what they run through Sheebway, but I think you, I'm, I'm going to go with UCLA on this one. I just I can't get behind Kentucky. I agree. I agree. Um, you know, I think Kentucky is a better defensive team, but I think UCLA is a better offensive team. Yeah. I still haven't seen really Kentucky play really very well yet, and we just right. got done talking about that. So, all right, here's an interesting game. Uh, Nebraska, who's kind of been um, – if they haven't been upsetting someone, they've been giving someone fits at right. Kansas State, who has a good record but really hasn't played anybody. I'm going to go with Nebraska. I think they're due for a win here because they did beat Creighton, and then they they lost to Indiana. It wasn't really close, but I saw flashes, and then they took Purdue to overtime. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? They were missing a couple, at least one yeah. of their better players in that game. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I got to agree. Nebraska seems to have something going go, going on there. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm taking Nebraska. They're due for a win, and I, I'm and I'm willing to bet on that. All righty, so. Our Portland our boys, what are, what's their nickname? The Pilots. The Pilots. So I just I haven't even looked. Let's see how they've been doing since Maui. Uh, since Maui, they've won three of four with the only loss to North Dakota State, a close loss. So we have the Pilots at Oregon. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Oregon. I just. I, I think that there's a little bit of like a, you know, we, we were looking at them with like the rose tinted glasses. They played North Carolina tough, and they they played Villanova. They beat Villanova, and they played Michigan State tough, but they haven't really played anyone and since. Like, actually, they haven't played anyone since. That's just a fact. Right, right, right. I, I'm 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 gonna say Oregon's just better. I think. Uh, yeah, Oregon seems to have started started to turn their ship around too. So yeah, I just um, think that like um, Dante's gonna be the best player. They're not going to have an answer for him. Yeah. I think Oregon's going to win. Also, Will Richardson is coming yes. off a triple-double. Yeah. Um, all right. Two more games. We have uh, Tennessee at Arizona. I'm going to take Arizona at home on this So one. am I. Tennessee just, my God, make a pass. They cannot put it together. It's, right. make it's a, a half year. It's a half year. They right. cannot put a full game together. All right. And our final game is Auburn, who we've talked a lot about today. At USC, who we barely talked about at all this year, they have a seven and three record. Uh, they just beat Oregon State in a close one. Uh, lost to in the tournament. They lost to Wisconsin. Lost to Tennessee. Um, just they really don't have a good victory yet this year. Yeah, I'm going to take Auburn, and I'm just going to bank on the talent. I'm not an Auburn guy, but I really like Drew Peterson. Again, I think he has dark horse to, uh, Pac-12 player of the year potential, but um, I, I think Auburn just holistically is better. And like yeah. I said, USC has – they haven't they haven't won. Like, yeah, they've had yeah, some yeah, nice yeah. losses, 
but they haven't they don't have a good victory right <laughs> nice losses that's a good way of putting it uh, <laughs> excellent well done all right so those are our picks for the week next week we'll have our christmas special what do you think about that drew yeah absolutely you have to it's the holidays exactly and then we're going to take a little break and we'll be back after the new year uh but i want to for this week i definitely want to thank all our listeners and our special guest, JT Shoemate, uh, will definitely be back next week. And we'll have the mailbag next week. By the way, I should give you that address. That's admin, A-D-M-I-N, at hoopsprospects.com. That's where we take the questions. So we'll do a mailbag next week. Uh, we'll have another stock report. We'll have another guest. Um, I believe that's going to be, I believe, don't hold me to this, but I think we're going to have Drew Pember of UNC Asheville, one of the leading scores in the country, uh, stretch big. Uh, but don't hold me to that because you know how these guest things go. You know, we um, never quite sure if we can match up schedules. But anyway, so we appreciate it, folks. We will see you soon. Any parting words, Drew? Uh, n- n- nothing too crazy. I just hope that I, f- I can stay on this right ship and get these picks right. And for all any Zags fans out there, it broke my heart to pick against them. So please don't hold it against me. Yes. I'm reverse jinxing them. They're going to go to <laughs> Alabama and win by 20. Um, I, I'm hoping that our picks have no impact over the actual income or outcome <laughs> or income or anyone's income. If your income depends on our picks, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next week.